listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. 20 years, 20 hours anniversary interview marathon. We started yesterday at 9 p.m. and we're going till 5 p.m. today, Friday. You just heard Jungle featuring Mark Kleins Kleiner and also Stephen Ham as well on bass will be appearing tonight at the Sub Ballroom UBC with a free concert happening. There's going to be the transmitters. There's going to be the pack. There's going to be Kid Cordine, a free all-ages gig happening at the Sub Ballroom Tonight, the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show 20th anniversary gig tonight at the Sub Ballroom at UBC. It's free to reward you, the listeners, for listening to my show, the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show, for the last 20 years. 
or to reward you, the listeners, for listening to the Nardware, the Human Survey Radio Show for the past 20 hours. I know it hasn't been 20 hours. It probably seems like it. Or to reward you, the listener, for listening to the show for like the past second, which probably feels like 20 years. Before Jungle, featuring Mark Kleins, Kleiner, and Stephen Hamm, and Jungle doing Common Blood, a tribute to Enough Snuff, an interview with Enough's Enough from November the 28th, 1997. And before that, a little talk with Mark Kleins Kleiner, and before that, an interview with Guar from October 27th, 2002. As Mark Kleins Kleiner mentioned, Mickey Dolan's was one of the first interviews we did together. I think the first interview that me and Mark did together was the Strawberry Alarm Clock, but Mickey Dolan's was the one that we really remember from, all the adventures that happened there, and we're going to push that back towards you. Here's a regurgitation of my interview with Mickey Dolan's of the Monkeys from October 1991. If you have any requests, nardwar at nardwar.com or 604 604- 822-2487 at 604-UBC-CITR. Any interviews you may have heard in the past 20 years? Any interviews you think I may have? Anything you'd want to hear? 604-822-247 at 604-UBC-CITR and Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R at nardwar.com. Right now, here's that interview I was mentioning, an interview with Mickey Dolenz of the Monkees from 1991. Who are you? Don't you know? Why are you interviewing me if you don't know? Oh, well, just for the viewers out there that possibly wouldn't know. Uh, my name is Mickey Dolans. What's yours? Oh, my name's Nardwar. Hi, Nardwar. Hi. How are you? Okay. Uh, no, Mickey, um, you, you were involved in that famous rock and roll group, right? Yes, that's true. Well, it was actually a television show about a rock and roll group. I've heard that you do not want to be known as a monkey anymore. Is that is that true? No, it's not. I'm not in the group anymore, but I'm very proud of what I did, and I had a great time, and it was very successful. I'm solo now. And you're here in Vancouver, B.C., right here, in fact, at VU13. Yes, that's true. Shooting a fun game. Game show called what is this called? Crazy talk? And uh, uh, no, uh, acting crazy. It's a uh, charades. It's basically just charades. So, wh- wh- is that why you're here in Vancouver? Is that the main the main reason you're here? Yeah, yeah. I came up just to do the show. Have you ever done game shows before? Not many. No, but I like charades. It's a good game. You gotta be quite. You gotta be quite bright. How do you feel that you fit this role? Why did they ask you? Do you think, Mickey? Because I'm a celebrity. A, a real a rock and roll celebrity? It depends on your point of view, I suppose. Some would say yes. Some would say television celebrity. Because I was, um, me being from Vancouver, B.C., Canada, I, well, how come I don't know a hell of a lot about the monkeys? Was the monkeys, were they syndicated in Canada? I have no idea, but it's probably just because you're too young. But when you grow up, maybe you'll learn. You don't think, though, that, like, in, I mean, there must be areas where the monkeys, because, like, I don't think Canada, I was exposed, like, more to Cheap Trick and bands like that, which is a shame, I guess, or it's pretty good. But is there outcroppings of monkeys fans that seem to be strengthened in areas? Like, I think Toronto has more monkeys fans in Vancouver. We've we've played in Toronto, we've played here in Vancouver, all over the world. The show was shown in about 50 countries in the world. By the way, I like Cheap Trick, too. After you, did you quit the Monkees at all? Yeah, I went solo about two years ago. And before that, the initial Monkees, when they broke up, did you leave them, or how did that band, how did the band disband there? It wasn't a band. I, okay. said that, the, I already oh, said sorry, this once. Okay, sorry. Listen carefully now. <laughs> okay, sorry. It was a television show a television about show. a band, so when the show went off the air, uh, the show went off the air. 
like Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner didn't hang around together after, you know, beaming each other up. Afterwards, did you um, forge new ground in movies and whatnot? Like, I became a director, a film and television director. What, what stuff could people see that you've done? Uh, nothing really here. I was working in England, all exclusively in England for 15 years. Some Monty Python stuff? I worked with some of the guys from Monty Python. I didn't work on that particular show, but I worked with Mike Palin and Terry Jones, yeah. And Mike Ness Smith, he'd been working on the movies too, hadn't he? Yeah, he's a producer in television uh, in Los Angeles, yeah. And, and speaking of some more movies, you also were involved in another, for a guy that doesn't know a lot about the monkeys, I found a lot about, a lot about I it. I found a lot about the monkeys, but I know, does the name Linda Lovelace bring any memories back to you, Mickey? Yeah, we did a movie with Linda Lovelace in the, er, in the 70s. It was an attempt to try and legitimize her as a comedian. It wasn't a porno film, it was a comedy. It was quite a few uh, uh, comedians in the film. So when you say this was an attempt, was this your company or were you were... No, 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 I just an actor. Was this a daring movie to partake in or were people from, like, I mean, you, a television and screen star being seen with Linda Lovelace? Well, Wasn't like that I sort say, of exciting? Yeah. Well, I guess it was exciting, but I mean, did people, you know, react harshly to that? No, no, because the movie didn't do that well, but it was quite funny. It was an attempt to make a comedian out of her. Has jealousy ever played a part in your role, in your life, uh, Mickey, at all? No. Never been jealous about movies or anything like that, or parts you missed? No. Because I heard again, another thing I heard, you once, the Fonz, you once, you once applied for, was that through Happy Days? What's the story behind that? I was up for it as an actor to play uh, the part of the Fonz, but uh, Henry Winkler was uh, excellent casting for that, I think. I would have cast Henry instead of myself if I was the producer. I, what, did you know Henry before that? No, no we just met as a... As a did you even Did you even know he was auditioning, or was it totally at different times. No, it happened to be exactly the same day, yeah. He says he remembers meeting me, but I don't remember meeting him. Also, you played another, another, I mean, what's going on here? The Missing Links, wasn't that, did you once play, in a, like, before you were in that The Monkees? That was my band before The Monkees, yeah. But before that, you were also on TV, weren't you? Yeah, I did a series when I was a kid called Circus Boy. Which, oh, has that ever, has that been aired recently, or anything happening with that? No, I don't know why. I, I suppose they must have a problem with the rights or something, because they haven't put that on the air. Did, did you come from a family of uh, established artists and vaudeville entertainers? Artists. Art Not art you talk funny. Arti well, Canadian, you know, I talk Canadian. Oh, I Clam chowder nice, artists. you know. Artists. Artists, yeah. Um, yeah, my father was an actor. An event, uh, so the Missing Links, was this a 60s punk wailing garage band, you know, a la yeah. Standells and whatnot? Yeah, it was a, we were a bar band. We did Top 40, yeah. It was a rock and roll band. What about the other members of the Missing Links? Did you ever keep up with them? or? No, I haven't talked to them in years and years. It's been a long, long time. Really? Mm. Did, it miss, did, it, it, did the Missing Links ever put anything out? Well, yeah, I had one record out, but it wasn't with the Missing Links. Before the Monkees, yeah, I had one. I had a, one or two records out as a solo artist before the Monkees, but nothing, uh, nothing recorded with the Missing Links. No, no. And you've heard of the plaster casters, haven't you? Yeah, those two girls in the '60s used to go around taking plaster casts. Yeah, yeah moldings. Yeah, yeah. There's that ugly rumor about the Monkees. Not ugly rumor, but they said Peter Torx's plastic molding possibly was right up there with Jimi Hendrix. Yes, that's true. So that is a that is a confound that is a true that is a true rumor. No, it's a con That's contradiction in terms, son. A, a contradiction Get your terms. grammar right. Well, thanks. For, and, and we're speaking to Mr. Mickey, Mickey Do, Do, Dolenz. That's close, yeah. Mickey, is that how you, is that how you pronounce it? Yes, Dolenz, yeah. Of, the, of now, of solo, solo career fame. What would you like to be known as nowadays? Oh, the singing director, probably. The singing director? Yeah. I, I, recently, what do you think about the war that's been going on? 
the ward? The, op, op, the war, sorry. <laughs> Am I really that incomprehensible? No, the war? Which war? Which war? Well, like those Operation Desert Storm was yeah. happening. What is your feelings on that? Well, I wasn't a big fan of uh, old Saddam Hussein, so I, I didn't have too many complaints about it. What about you? Well, no, I was wondering, because like, head, that luxurious, that hard-hitting, that big movie that you guys do, Monkeys you Ground. You know a lot about the monkeys, not to know anything. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's Jen, but I don't know as much as, say, the guy who has like 43 episodes on video. But, you know, Head was a hard-hitting movie. It's in all the video stores released. And it was sort of an anti-war movie. Well, part, part of it was, yeah. That was anti-Vietnamese war, yeah. And now, is, does the Persian Gulf War, like you saying, you don't like Saddam Hussein, would that mean if the monkeys around today, would have they made a movie like Head, possibly about the Persian Gulf War? No, I doubt it. There isn't really much of a counterculture today. Uh, do, do you feel like that back then you still would have made the movie, even if the way you feel today about politics? I mean, in other words, I mean, not to put it bluntly, but has has has, uh, oh, has no, no. Have, cool, have rock and rollers gone got more conservative? You know, like Jerry Lee Lewis wearing ties and stuff nowadays, and not being with sixteen-year-old girls. I mean, like no, I think you have to take each case in point. The Vietnamese War was, and I still believe, and most people, it was unjustified. The Persian Gulf War probably was. And what made it justified? Just Saddam Hussein? Uh, well, and what he represented, yeah. Oh, that's great. Thanks for us, Mickey. I really appreciate it. And let, let, thanks for letting us into UTV, too. Really, that's great. Uh, do, do, you know, do you know Prime Minister of Canada? Do you know who that is? No, at all? I'm afraid not. Remember, remember Pierre Elliott Trudeau? Do you remember him? Did you ever hang out with Margaret Trudeau? <laughs> it's Brian Mulroney, by the way. You know, he's a oh, great guy. You. But thanks. Oh, act crazy for us for a second. No, I, I don't do that anymore. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you. Incense and Peppermint says a hit. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar de Human Serviette radio show. You just heard an interview with Mickey Dolans from October 1991. And before that, an interview with Enough's Enough! featuring Mark Kleiner helping out, and Mark Kleiner also phoned in. And that's from November 28th, 1997. I would like to thank the caller who phoned in, who asked for my Kid Congo Powers interview, and also my Johnny Legend interview. I'm digging through the vaults, and hopefully should be able to get to those in the next little while. We should also be joined shortly by Maestro Fresh West. If anybody has any questions for Maestro Fresh West, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR. Right now, here is an interview with Paul Gallagher. Now, this particular interview is from November 22nd, mm, the day that JFK was assassinated. No, not 1963. But November the 22nd, 1996, an interview with Paul Gallagher. Paul Gallagher is the older brother of Liam and Noel of Oasis. If you have any requests, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR, Nardwar at Nardwar.com. 20 hours of Nardwar to Human Serviette on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, expanded 20th anniversary edition. 20 hours of Nardwar to Human Serviette, me, because it signifies 20 years of me, Nardwar to Human Serviette. So here's an interview with... Paul Gallagher, not Liam from Oasis, not Noel from Oasis. This is Paul Gallagher, who was promoting his book, Brothers, at the time, on November the 22nd, 
1996. Who are you? Who am I? Good point. Now, my name is uh, Paul Gallagher. You are Paul Gallagher? Yeah, I've got two semi-famous brothers. I don't think they've had a hit single yet, but you, you might have heard of them. They've got big eyebrows and stuff. Do you have a monobrow too, Paul? Do I have monobrow? No, my, my eyebrows actually don't meet in the middle. They're actually normal, if you know what I mean. Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel, do you get any respect? Does anybody give you any... I mean, is it hard to get respect? Do you get any respect, Paul Gallagher? Of course I do. Well, like, are you the Billy Carter of the Gallagher family? No, 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 no. No, and I'm not Chris Jagger either, and I'm not Pete Best or any other people you name to throw at me. But you know, do you get any respect, though? Because isn't it hard to be the brother of the Gallaghers? Because people seem to always be making fun of you. You know, Paul Gallagher, ha-ha, you know, the fattish older brother of Liam and Noel. What is it like to take that sort of abuse, Paul? I just don't listen to them. But don't they always say it to you? No, nobody says nothing to me personally. People print it in papers because they won't say it to my face because they know they'll be on the floor if I got all of them. Have you punched anybody uh, over this? Um, not yet, but, you know, there's, there's a few that have become close. Paul Gallagher, why does the first line in your book say, it kind of says, I always wished I was famous. I mean, aren't you setting yourself up right there? Kind of like, yeah, I always wish... Why, why are you setting yourself up for that abuse? Because I get it anyway, so you might as well set yourself up for it. Because on page 76 of Brothers, continuing on here with Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel, you say, I'll always repay you, Mr. Sifter, by advertising your shop as one of the biggest influences behind the greatest band in the world. You're talking about this guy, Mr. Sifter. Who is Mr. Sifter? Uh, Mr. Sifter, his name is Peter. I can't remember his last name. But yeah, we've always bought records from him. In fact, I bought some. In fact, no, I did actually buy some last week. I was trying to nick them, but he caught me. But no. But why do you say I'll always repay you, Mr. Sifter, by advertising your shop as one of the biggest influences behind the greatest band in the world? Like, do you have to use your brother's fame to pay back this man? What are you? I mean, are you their official spokesman? Can you get a hold of yourself, Paul? Create your own nick. Break through, Paul Gallagher. You're good, too. You don't have to use your brother's fame for this. Who's using what? What, what, what are you on about? You know what I mean? Well, I'm talking about, you're talking about, like, how your brothers bought records at the shop and you're advertising the shop as one of the biggest influences as of... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow, slow, slow right down. Of Oasis. Right. Create your Let's own... Rewind. Create your... Re rewind. Paul, right. Paul Gall... No, oh, no, no, no. Hold on. Rewind. Paul, okay, that's what... What about just saying that only them two have bought records at the shop? You know what I mean? I was there before the pair of them. Now, advertising the facts, yes... Uh, many big, big major companies would like that free advertising, but they don't get it. Not from me. But says you're advertising it. You're advertising so the show. You know, I mean, you're, you're advertising me in fucking Vancouver or wherever you are, or Toronto or wherever you are. I don't know where you are. Vancouver, got... British Columbia, Canada, Paul Gallagher. Oh, is that right? Why is Canada, it... Canada, have you got your big red leaves on your feet? Why is... Big... Do you have any good Canada jokes at all besides that, Paul Gallagher? You know what I mean? I've got plenty of jokes, but I'm not in joking mood. This is meant to be an interview concerning a book. And if you want to rip the piss, then go and rip the piss somewhere I'm else. I'm not ripping the... I'm not oh, ripping the piss. Oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not ripping the piss, Paul yeah, Gallagher. Well, I'm well, gently... obviously not intelligent enough to rip the piss. Go on, then. Well, I'm reading from direct quotes here, Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel. Well, that, that direct quote is 76, uh, page 76 that you're so far referring to does not exist. 
It does, you know I mean? on, on page 76 of your book, it does say, I'll always repay you, Mr. Sifter, by advertising your shop as one of the biggest influences behind the yeah, Ghost Band. Yeah, yeah, well, if you, go re if you go rewind to the start of the story concerning that, I mean, you're, you're, you're taking it from text and making it out as it's something different. Okay, why are there no pictures of you in the book, Brothers? Why are there no pictures? Because th that's on purpose. But I, want to see what, but I want to see what you look like, though, Paul. Well, you're going to have to wait, aren't you? You know what I mean? Paul, did you ever think about writing other books, like maybe about Davy Jones? Davy Jones of the Monkeys is from Openshaw. Openshaw. So, Openshaw, yeah. I know where Openshaw is, but, you know, Davey. I don't want to write any books, any more books. I've done one book. I knew I had a book. I've done it. End of story. It's a big, big seller. But do you think, I'll move on to something different. Do you think more books like Davy Jones of the Monkeys is from Openshaw? So what? Davy Jones from Openshaw, why are we? Uh, Mick Hucknell from Simply Red is from Duckingfield, Paul Gallagher. He's from, actually from Denton. Paul Gallagher, Paul Gallagher. Paul Gallagher, Paul Gallagher, hey man. Paul, Paul Gallagher, Paul Gallagher is currently a band manager and A&R consultant. What band? Brubaker. What's the name of the band? Brubaker. Boo Baker? Boo. B? 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 R? R? Yeah. Thank you, Paul Gallagher. Why on page 137 of Brothers, and we're speaking here to Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel, do you comment, I wished I had a chance to show my talent somewhere? Why do you say that? I wish I had my chance to show my talent somewhere. You're showing it in the book, but why do you say, I wish I had a chance to show? You're setting yourself up for more punishment there, Paul. I feel sorry for you. Yeah, uh, well, I, I, I don't feel sorry for me, you know what I mean? I'm not bothered, bothered, you know, but, uh, 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 not bothered, not bothered. It just doesn't interest me. Paul Gallagher, on page 137 of your book, it says, it's hard, it? it's hard to imagine your younger brothers becoming the new Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, you say, Paul Gallagher. Your new brothers becoming Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. How can you compare your brothers to Richards and Jagger? I mean, Liam doesn't all write all the songs, does he? He doesn't co-write anything with Noel. No. So why did you use that, Paul Gallagher? Paul Gallagher, because I, I felt like using it. You know what I mean? It's just a term. Now, who's, Liam is only 24. Who says he's never going to write songs? But I I'm saying, comparing him to Keith Richards and Jagger, I'm not saying for popularity or anything, but Keith Richards and Jagger co-wrote songs together. Liam and Noel don't co-write songs together. So how can you compare them to that? <sighs> Big Breeze coming over the phone. Paul Gallagher, are you still there? How you doing, Paul Gallagher? I'm, I'm fine, and you're ruining up my fucking phone bill, so say what you got to say or I'm terminating this interview. Thank you, Paul Gallagher. Okay. We really do appreciate your time. Continuing on here, on page 137, you continue on to say, but our Noel was very talented. Our Noel. Why do you say our Noel? What's the expression our. with our Noel? It's kind of sucky, isn't it? Our Noel, our Liam. Why so much our? Our, because it's, it, that's like a Mancunian term. Our kid. Our kid. Uh, obviously, you Canadians. What, what, what would you say if you had a brother? I, hey, Lucan, how are you, man? I'd say uh, Liam. Yeah, but I mean, would you call him your or our or him or but, who? But you just say, you just keep saying, you, I just keep saying Liam, uh, Liam, Liam. Liam. You don't live here, right? You've never even been here. you never fucking heard of Manchester. Hey, what's wrong I mean, with everyone me? Everyone uses our, I'm our from kid, our kid, our brother, our fucking team, our this, my cup of tea, I mean. I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Long John Baldry lives here. Long John Baldry lives here, Paul Gallagher. Uh, well, whatever. 
Paul Gallagher, a brother of Liam and Noel, quoting from page 151 of Brothers, Oasis's performance was magnificent, eclipsing the much-raved-about Soul Asylum. What are you referring to right there? Go, go back to the... I mean, well, I'm not I'm meant to read it out. Where, I haven't got a book in front of me, so I, I really don't know what you're on about. You know well, I mean? you're saying their performance was magnificent. Are you objective? Are you objective, Paul Gallagher? How can you be objective and call them magnificent when you're, they're your brother? You love them. You love your brothers, don't you, Paul Gallagher? Um, yeah. Yeah, sometimes. Not all the time. And second, yeah. you're comparing Oasis to Soul Asylum. Soul Asylum is shite. Yeah, they are shite. It doesn't take that much to be better than Soul Asylum, does it? You, uh, so you probably form a band that'll be better than Soul Asylum. So we know, agree yeah. on something, Paul Gallagher. We Soul know, Asylum we, or we, shite? We agree to disagree, you know. We're connecting here. We're connecting. Now, Paul... Solar uh, power. What, what do you really think about Oasis? I mean, honestly, Paul Gallagher, are they really something special? Are, aren't, yeah. they just, aren't they nothing? What, I mean, come on. Are Because you, you were a mod, weren't you? Mm. You were a mod. Like, what about Once this? the mod, always the mod. You were bod the mod. Yeah. You're Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel. You're a bod the mod. You're writing this book, Brothers. No, are not like the Secret Affair, the Squire, the Purple Hearts, or the Prisoners. I mean, the Prisoners. Aren't they just as good or better than Oasis, Paul Gallagher? No, they're not. Why? The pri- you love those bands, though. Why aren't they as good? The Prisoners. No, no, no. Where, where are they now? You know what I mean? The Oasis are going to be around for a good few years, yeah. But you must admit those bands were good. You were down with them. You did like they're, them, Paul Gallagher. The influences. Because a lot of people... Influences made into a better equation. But the prisoners probably influenced Oasis. I mean, the prisoners are better yeah, than Oasis. Fucking TV show, man, you know what I mean? Hello, Paul Gallagher. How are you doing? And we're speaking here to Paul Gallagher, author of the book Brothers. And Paul Gallagher is the brother of Liam and Noel of Oasis. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if all you people in Canada are like you, man. I don't know what to do no more interviews, you know what I mean? Paul Gallagher, how do you remember so much about your youth? You remember, like, every toy, every cereal, all these things. How do you remember all this stuff? Obviously, I'm clever, but there you go, eh? Because, like, Noel liked tents. Noel had a favourite toy wigwam. What was that all about? Do you know what a wigwam is? Yes, we know what a wigwam is in Canada, Paul Gallagher. You really have something against Canada, don't you, Paul Gallagher? No, I don't have anything against Canada. I have something against people who don't ask proper questions, who don't, um, I don't know if you're trying to glorify yourself in this interview by winding me up. We're not going to wind up, we're just going through the actual book. Noel liked tents. He had a favourite toy wigwam. Yeah, what he was... had a wigwam, you know what I mean? And no... It's, it's no big deal. Yeah, right, I mean, that's what I'm trying to elaborate to. I mean, it's no big deal. Kids have toys, you know what I mean? But no, but I've this got is... a memory and I fucking memorised a lot of stuff. But do people, like Noel got a dog bite at age six. Brave Noel was the only one manly enough to pull a dart out of your head. There were schoolyard fights with Tony Rafferty and Youngie. Like, what is the significance of all this little information you've put out there? Is isn't it kind of blah, as you've said this earlier? Is it what? Why have you given us information, no, no, because, Paul Gallagher? Why have? Because I've written a book. But, know, I know, but why? To see, to write a book, you... you've got to memorise quite a lot of stuff, and you've got to research. Now, I didn't do no research, because the research is in my fucking brain. You know I know, I mean? you're great. You're Paul Gallagher. But Paul Gallagher, just one second. You just said, who cares what the Noel like tense? Then why did you put that in a book? Why did you put it up about Noel getting a dog bite? You, Noel pulling... you've, 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 got to, you've got to make the thing interesting. 
These these are original things that happen. But you just now, you me. may you may not be able to, to to relate to them in Canada, but people in Britain can do same as I can't relate to a fucking Eskimo in Alaska. You you just you know what I mean, or a sheepdog or whatever. But Paul Gallagher, you just you just scolded me a second ago for asking you about no liking tents, and yet you put it in the book. I'm allowed to ask that question, aren't I? It was in the book. Whatever. No, Paul, continue okay, on. I'm, your... I'm getting you know I mean, I'm going to terminate this interview. I don't know who set you up. To interview me, I thought I was doing an interview. Paul Gallagher, winding up no, here. Just a no, few no, more no, questions. Just Paul Gallagher. Just a few more questions. Please, Paul Gallagher, are you still there? Please, Paul. Paul, are you still there? Paul. Get, get on with it. Get on with it. A few Come more on, questions. Okay, recently, time. it was reported that you were here with Liam. That Liam was. You were with Liam when he did coke on November 9th and was caught by the fuzz. Uh, what did you say then? Recently, it was reported in the papers that you were what with Liam that? when he allegedly did coke and was caught by the fuzz. No, no, I wasn't with Liam. Have you seen anyone offer... I was, li- I was with Liam the next day when I called to his house. I wasn't with Liam. I was at a fucking gig somewhere in London. Have you ever seen anyone offer Oasis Coke? You know, Blow Oasis, get it? Blow Oasis. Have, who hangs around Oasis? Who's offering them Coke and stuff? That's up to you to find out, innit? Continuing on here, winding up with Paul well, well, Gallagher. Why don't you go and ask the newspapers, because they usually make up a story like what you're trying to do here. Paul Gallagher bought the mod. Continuing on here on page 143 of Brothers, you say, no, 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 no. quote, then one of Leon's mates asked Liz Fair to get her tits out for the lads, which we all find highly amusing. Why did you say that? Isn't that sloth-like, Paul Gallagher? <laughs> get her tits out for the lads. Isn't yeah, that kind of mean? Get, get your tits out for the lads, you know what I mean? That's very sloth-like. Asked, you know what I mean? It happened. You wasn't there. What do you mean you I wasn't just, there? You, you wasn't there. You were just taking excerpts from a book, or my book, and t- t- turn it round as if I'm some sort of fucking arsehole. We're not trying I mean? to, we're not At trying the end of the day, you're the arsehole. We're not trying to put anything around here, Paul Gallagher. You're just saying get her tits out for the lads. I'm Canada. You fucking better watch out, man. Right. If I come across you... You'll be snowboarded, I'm telling you. If uh, I'm going to be snowboarded. Nardward, a human serviette. I'm going to be snowboarded. snowboarded. I'm winding up here. Again, winding up here. Winding up here with Paul Gallagher. Yeah, yeah. I don't don't know who else you interview, but there's no doubt they want to kill you the same as I do. Paul Gallagher, what do your fingernails taste like these days? What what is what? What do your fingernails taste like these days? My fingernails, at the moment, horse manure. When is the last time Noel or Liam punched you? I know you want to punch me, don't you? You want to whip oh, me? Right, I want to rip your fucking head off, and I will do one of these days. You know what I mean? I know you are. <laughs> Thank you, Paul Gallagher. <laughs> you, you, ain't, you ain't getting away with trying to wind me up on the phone. I don't fucking care where you are. You nobody, nobody screws with Paul Gallagher. Nobody, nobody screws, and not even you, fucking Nardwa, whoever you call. I mean, Nardwa. What sort of a fucking nickname is Nardwa? You come out of space. You're teasing me in my little country house I'm here. Fucking Joe, my. Country house, ha ha. Some might say I'll cast no shadow across your fucking, and you will roll with it, you cunt. Paul Gallagher, the brother of Liam and Noel, please tell me, when is the last time you punched somebody? Like, you punched, did you punch Liam or Noel? When is the last time you punched Emma? Uh, it's find it hard to punch Liam and Noel, actually 300 miles from me, unless I've got a big fist, you know what I mean, like fucking Superman, flying through the air. You seem to be very opinionated. Has anybody ever got mad at you or punched you at all? Punched me? No. Liam or Noel have not punched you? Have they got mad at you recently? No. Would they be happy with, with brothers? Would they be happy with the way you're carrying on yourself in this manner right now? Yes. 
Paul Gallagher, you describe here how you Gallaghers had such a hard upbringing. You know, Noel stole stuff, did drugs, fought bikers. So why did the boys, oh sorry, our Liam and our Noel, walk off stage here in Vancouver when the little penny hit them? Why did they walk off a, stage? A little, a little penny hit them. A little yeah, penny I've hit them. I've had this before with you Canadians. At the end of the day, they're there to play music. That stage is their stage. Anyone invades it or throws fucking coins, are they meant to walk around for the rest of their life blind? I don't know what it is with you Canadians and you Americans, when you're at a gig, you fucking throw bottles at people. It isn't work, it isn't acceptable, and if it happens again, they're off. It's as simple as that, and that's what they did. They but went off. the Gallagher family is tough. You're tough, right? You're tough, we're, Paul Gallagher. We're, we're not fucking, we're not even bothered, you know what I mean? But if you're not bothered, then why does a penny make you bothered? Like, you're teaching a, a us math. All right, please, all right. Uh, I'll fucking, I'll put you up on the stage, yeah, and I will throw a plastic bottle of water full with force, and I'll throw a coin, I'll throw a stone with a, to the speed of 50 mile an hour, and let's see how you fucking clever you're going to last, you know what I mean? So you want to teach us that? You're straight on your snowboard and off to fucking Vancouver, mate. So, uh, no, so Oasis, when they walk off stage, Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel, are they teaching us manners? Is that what they're doing? They're teaching us manners? So they came to yeah, Vancouver well, to teach you, us you, manners? You need, you need educating, don't you, really, you know what I mean? If, so they if, came, that's, if that's the way you behave. So they came to Vancouver? Vancouver to teach us manners then, Paul Gallagher? They came to Vancouver to play music. And then also, well, they didn't play music because they know, walked you know, off. Do, do you know what that is? Music. M-U-S-I-C. Well, they go there to play music. How come an Oasis came... They they're not fucking King Kong in a cage, you know? You know what I mean? But uh, Paul Gallagher, you spokesman, you... you when, Oasis came oh. to, when Oasis came to Vancouver, they held a press conference the first time they came to Vancouver. Isn't that kind of being assholes? You know, Why? you know, having a press conference when, like, they were barely selling out a 200-seat venue. It was eventually moved to a larger venue. But, I mean, in America at that time when they first came to warrant a press conference, that's kind of being assholic, isn't it? Is it? I don't know. There again, see, I don't know a lot about Canada and America. And would I want to know? See, this is, this is the point. My book has gone on sale on Canada because my publishers want to go on sale on Canada. That doesn't... I mean, I, I will speak to any other person who wants to interview me. You're not some fucking arsehole who's trying to take the piss. So I suggest you go to your country house, you get your fucking blur up and out, you go... Hey, I like the prisoners. I like the prisoners. Paul, are you still there? Paul, Paul. This, this interview is terminated. Oh, Paul, can, we, Paul, can we at least go do to the loot to you? You've, you've had 20 minutes of my fucking but, money. But so Liam is so hot. Liam is so hot. Nad fucking what? Paul, please, please. Paul? 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 Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel. Paul? 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 And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. 20 hours of Nardwari Human Serviette Me signifying 20 years on CITR Radio. And thank you to all the DJs that bravely gave up their slots to allow me to do 20 hours of Nardwari Human Serviette for 20 years. Like right now, you're missing Scotty's Scenic Drive. Thank you, Scotty. We're going to be continuing till 5 p.m. We started yesterday at 9 p.m. and we're going to 5 p.m. 20 years, 20 hours of me, Nardwari to Human Serviette. And at the very end, just going to be a free gig tonight at the Sub Ballroom at UBC to reward all you listeners for listening to me for 20 years, 20 minutes, 20 seconds, 20 milliseconds, or 20 pounds.
pounds worth of anger that may have come out of your body after hearing stuff like Paul Gallagher. That was Paul Gallagher, the brother of Liam Ann Noel from November the 22nd, 1996 on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. He was promoting a brand new book he had called Brothers about, well, <laughs> his brothers. Right now, here are a whole bunch of interviews that I did with world leaders. We're going to have some interviews with Gerald Ford, ex-president of the United States of America, Mikhail Gorbachev. Mikhail Gorbachev, two little Mikhail Gorbachev encounters for you to explore. Dan Quayle, the one-time vice president of the United States of America. Jean Chrétien, who we referred to a little while back in the Mark Klein's Kleiner interview, Enough's Enough interview. In other words, the fake rumors that Mark told me to ask the metal bands, I was later able to apply to Jean Chrétien. And then an encounter with Paul Martin, where I try to get him to do a weird 1960s twister-like game called the hip flip. You won't be able to actually see it, but you'll be able to get the gag of what exactly is going on. So here we have Nardwar to Human Serviette versus World Leaders. www.nardwar.com Nardwar at nardwar.com 604-822-247 604-UBC-CITR if you have any requests. Ladies and gentlemen, please warm, provide a warm Western welcome to the 38th President of the United States, Gerald R. Ford. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. My friend Peter Bocklington. Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, it's a, a very, very high honor and great privilege for me to come to Vancouver. Yes, sir. Yeah, Mr. Ford, I was wondering, why does the United States of America, possibly the greatest nation in the entire world, why would they take an interest in Canada? Canada being a nation filled with clam chowder, salmon or anything like that why would they care what how can we believe that they're sincere in what they're doing what you've just said is not my viewpoint of Canada uh, and I am surprised that someone in Canada would use that language about Canadians but nevertheless uh, we in Canada the United States have great respect and admiration uh, for Canadians and your country uh, and we have as I said in my remarks, the most unique relationship between two nations in the history of mankind. Earlier today at a news conference at Science World, a reporter from UBC's CITR radio who was wearing a toque threw an oddball question at Gorbachev. Okay, two more fast ones because we have other activities that he has to take part in. Go ahead. Oh, okay, Narvar from CITR Radio. First off, Dershne Rocken Uslabodni Svet. What's your question? <laughs> that was keep on rocking in a free world in Russia. And I was also wondering of all the political figures that Dr. Gorbachev has encountered, who has the largest pants? Thank you very much. We'd like to call up now the. Dershne Rocken! 
Well, uh, sorry, sorry, I didn't understand your Russian. Gorbachev took the nonsense in stride, looking a little confused and a little bemused. The man was questioned by the RCMP, but appears to have been properly accredited for the news conference. In Gorbachev's homeland... There was a lighter moment during Mikhail Gorbachev's Vancouver visit earlier uh, this weekend. Gorbachev took some questions from the public at the city's science world. A man who said he was from a university radio station tried some fractured Russian on Gorbachev. The phrase he used translated as, keep on rocking in the free world. Then came his question, which was, quote, of all the political figures that Dr. Gorbachev has encountered, who has the largest pants? Well, Gorbachev smirked through an embarrassed silence in the room. Some red-faced organizers hastily moved to the next step in the program and of course the Mounties briefly questioned the reporter. Sports weather and the kinks right after this. We're going to have some fun this evening. I'm going to uh, I'm going to speak for oh, 20-30 minutes or so and then we've got uh, a couple microphones I see on, uh, over here and over there and you can take this conversation wherever you want to. Hi, Mr. Quill. Who's the Prime Minister of Canada? Prime, Prime Minister of Canada. We just had the uh, President uh, Clinton up there for a uh, address. And uh, it's one thing that George Bush didn't do. Mulroney did not invite him up. But you now have a new Prime Minister of Canada. Hi, Mr. Quill. Who's the Prime Minister of Canada? Prime, Prime Minister of Canada. We just had the uh, President uh, Clinton up there for a uh, address. And uh, it's one thing that George Bush didn't do. Mulroney did not invite him up. But you now have a new Prime Minister of Canada. Hi, Mr. Quill. Who's the Prime Minister of Canada? Prime, Prime Minister of Canada. We just had the uh, President uh, Clinton up there for a uh, address. And uh, it's one thing that George Bush didn't do. Mulroney did not invite him up. But you now have a new Prime Minister of Canada. Mr. Kretchen, regarding Suharto, there's a song out there right now by a punk band called the Nomads, called the Suharto Stomp. Earlier today as well at UBC, there were an incredible number of protesters. Do you think, Mr. Kretchen, if you were, say, 40 years younger, that you too would be writing punk songs and protesting against APEC? But for me, uh, in a democracy, people protest. I have. I, I've been protested a few times in my lifetime. I did that myself too when I was a student. Do you think, though, that mace equals freedom? Some of the protesters were maced. What do you say? Some of the protesters were maced. Does mace equal freedom? Would you, would you have been maced yourself back then, Prime Minister Kretchen? But, but I don't know what you mean by that. A mace? Pepper spray? Some other members? Oh, but of I don't know. This technique did not exist in those days. <laughs> For me, pepper, I put it on my plate. <laughs> Next.
it's Nardwarta Human Serviette here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. As you can see, we're just waiting for the Prime Minister of Canada, Paul Martin, to descend down the stairs. I'm hoping to ask him about his youth and also asking him if he will do the hip flip. Let's find out. Who are you? Jordan Greve. And who are you? Trevor Quote. And what are we doing right here? Hip flip. We're waiting for? Paul Martin. Who is the? Prime Minister of Canada. And we're going to try to get him to do the? Hip flip. Prime Minister Martin entering the throng of people here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Going to see if we do. Prime Minister Martin. Prime Minister Martin, will you do the hip flip? There's some kids here. Kids, come on. Oh, oh, dear. Mr. Martin. Mr. Martin. Kids, keep going. Can I? They said let me through. Mr. Martin. Kids, keep going. Prime Minister Martin, kids, keep going. Prime Minister Martin. You can let this guy go. They can, they can, it's okay. Prime Minister Martin, is it okay to do the hip? Prime Minister Martin. Prime Minister Martin, where'd he go? Prime Minister Martin, would this one of you back to do the hip flip? Would it be okay, sir, if we came on the bus and did a hip flip with Prime Minister Martin? No. <laughs> Are you sure? Positive. So no means no? No means no. Okay, in polite forum, we will give up. Would it be okay to come on a bus and do a hip flip with no, Prime Minister Martin? I'm about and talk to you right now. He really will? Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Mr. Martin, How are thank you? you for the time. Uh, my time is yours. We just have a couple of kids here. We want to ask you about the youth vote, Mr. Martin. All right. And these kids are really excited to meet you. And I guess I was wondering, would you do the hip flip with me? All right, sure. You got to tell me how. Well, it's quite easy. You just put it. Do you want to hold the mic here? What you do is you just hold the mic. You just hold that, and then you try to. You try to. Uh, you can back up it. And it this over. Yeah, and then you try to. Get. No, sometimes you need. You can't put your hands here, Prime Minister. You can't. You can't. Okay, kids. Mr. Martin, I just want to ask you one last quick thing. How wild were you as a youth? Is it true that you once chucked rocks at the Soviet embassy? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yes, it is. Because that was in your dad's memoirs. I, I did it. I you know, did, did you ever tell the Soviets that? <laughs> well, actually, I did. I told Mr. Putin. Well, thanks very much, Mr. Martin. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Do do the loot. And I want to do that again. Oh, almost. Do do loot do. Do do. An interview with. Paul Martin, and Paul Martin actually did the hip flip. And you can actually see that clip on YouTube. If you go to YouTube.com and type in Nardwar and Paul Martin, you can see Paul Martin doing the hip flip. Again, it's kind of like a 1960s twister-like game where you take this little pole, put it between two people's bellies, and there's a little flipper in the middle, and you try to flip it over. And the Prime Minister of Canada actually did it, which was somewhat amazing. At that particular election, I approached all the candidates, and the only candidate that did the hip flip, Paul Martin, was the candidate that won the election. The next election that happened, I approached all the candidates, and the only candidate that didn't do the hip flip won the election. In other words, Stephen Harper refused to do the hip flip, and he actually won the election, so it was the exact opposite. Everybody else 
well, actually, Paul Martin didn't do – well, let's just, just reclip, recap what went on. In 2004, I approached all the candidates to do the hip flip. Paul Martin did the hip flip. Jack Layton said no, but I'll do it next time. And Stephen Harper refused me, and I was carried away by security. In 2006, Jack Layton honored his promise and did the hip flip. Paul Martin blew me off, did not do the hip flip, and Stephen Harper did not do the hip flip, and he won the election. I hope there's another election so I can try it again. Before that, an interview with Jean Chrétien from APEC 1997. Before that, an interview with Dan Quayle. Interviewed him at Shoreline Community College in Shoreline, Washington. How did I hook up with Dan Quayle? I was tipped off by Shane Baudet from the band Stagnant Water, who I put on a gig for years ago. And he said, hey, Nardwar, got Dan Quayle down at Shoreline Community College. Come on down. I did. He was signing books. Actually, none of the books that he was supposed to sign arrived. So he was just signing anything, and I was able to ask those questions. And before that, some encounters with Mikhail Gorbachev from Science World 1993, and to top it all off, an interview with Gerald Ford, ex-president of the United States of America. I didn't ask him something I think I should have asked him. Little did I know that he also sat on the Warren Commission amongst being involved with all this free trade stuff. The Warren Commission, of course, being involved with the assassination of John F. Kennedy, which is pretty amazing because the interview before that I played was with Paul Gallagher, and that interview was done on November 22nd. 1996, the death day anniversary of John F. Kennedy. Uh, Gerald Ford was in town promoting free trade. And if you heard in that introduction, he's like, I'd like to honor the distinguished guests like Peter Pocklington, of course, the guy that sold Wayne Gretzky. And before that, an interview with Enough's Enough from November 28th, 1997. And before that, an interview with Guar from October 27th, 2002. Before that, an interview with Pierre Burton. From January 23rd, 1992. Before that, an interview with Timothy Leary from February 4th, 1994. Before that, an interview with Elijah Wood from May 2nd, 2002. Before that, an interview with the Avengers from January 8th, 1999. Before that, an interview with Bill Casing from July 22nd, 2005. He's the guy that said the moon landing was faked. Before that, an interview with Bill Line. An interview from June 30th, 1995. He's the guy that tells you how to build your own UFO. Before that, an interview with the dearly departed Robert Anton Wilson from November 8th, 1996. Before that, an interview with William Cooper from February 26th, 1993. Also, unfortunately, passed away, as well as Ron from Cat's Game, who helped out with that interview. Before that, an interview with Al Goldstein from December 31st, 1999. Before that, an interview with Tommy Chong from August 20th, 1993. Before that, an interview with Beck from June 10th, 1994. Before that, an interview with Court. Love from 1993. Before that, an interview with Tommy Lee from March 17th, 2000. Before that, an interview with Harlan Ellison from May 15th, 1992. Before that, an interview with Crispin Glover from March 17th, 1995. Before that, an interview with Henry Rollins from August 14th, 1998. Before that, an interview with Sonic Youth from April 17th, 1991. Before that, an interview with Lydia Lunch from January 19th, 1996. Before that, an interview with Icky Pop from March 15th, 1996. Before that, an interview with Alice Cooper from June 4th, 1994. Before that, some clips from the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show 
ranging from the years 1991 to 1997. Before that, some clips from an Ardwarty Human Survey radio show from 1987 to 1991. And to kick off the Nardwar 20-hour, 20-year marathon, an interview with DOA's Dave Gregg from October 16th, 1987. Also including Ian Ross from Curious George and shouts out to Stefan Ellis, who also appears in the interview, who unfortunately has passed away, and also John Bardino, who's mentioned at the interview, who has also passed away. This whole thing goes out to everybody that's passed away that I've interviewed over the past 20 years, also including Pierre Burton and Timothy Leary and Robert Anton Wilson. This is the Nardwarty Human Serviette 20-year, 1987 to 2007 interview marathon. 20 years, 20 hours on the Nardwarty Human Serviette radio show. The last anniversary I did was my 11-year anniversary, and I went for 24 hours, so you're getting less than that. Although, if I do make it to 30 will be 30 hours, so just stay tuned for that. Now, with all that being said, if anybody has any requests of interviews they'd like me to play, please let me know. 604-822-2487. That's 604-UBC-CITR or email nardwar at nardwar.com. Now, we've had some requests, and one of the requests that we just had was for Johnny Marr, Courtney Love, and Michael Moore. That was from Tom. We will get to Michael Moore. We also had a request from a caller for Johnny Legend. On an Ardwarty Human Serviette radio show, I'll interview anyone. Yes, as you heard, I was kind of stuck to the punk blinders earlier, but Mark Kleiner expanded my knowledge base. And now I'll interview anyone. And one of the people that I've really enjoyed talking to over the years has been Johnny Legend. He is an amazing musician. He's worked with Andy Kaufman. He himself has totally been involved in movies. He has amazing photographic memories of the 1960s. And here's an interview I did with Johnny Legend. This is a request. This is a request. A Johnny Legend interview from August 28th, 1998. I'm not sure if we'll be able to play the full interview because I think it actually goes over three tapes. What I did with this Johnny Legend interview was I interviewed him and we didn't finish after the allotted hour and a half. So he was on the next week. We didn't finish for the allotted hour and a half. So he was on the week after that. So it was like five hours of Johnny Legend. So this is the first interview I did with Johnny Legend. We'll be able to complete this interview because it just goes on and on and on and on. But this is Johnny Legend requested by the caller. Thank you, caller. 604-822-2487. 604-UBCCITR. If you have any requests of any interviews or Nardwar at nardwar.com. You heard what we've played. There's lots more stuff that we can play. I've got the entire archives here. And here is Johnny Legend on the Nardwar to Human Survey Radio Show from August 28th, 1998. Johnny Legend. You're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we have on the line right now? I believe it's Johnny Legend, of course. Who are you, Johnny Legend? Who well, are you? I don't know. That's kind of like a self-defeating uh, question. I mean, if you have to ask a question like that, I don't know if what answer would suffice. Well, I didn't know what song to begin the show with, so I began the show with some other bands, not yourself, but I began with a band called The Mentally Ill and their song Gacy's Place. Yeah, it sounded like several people have had to kick out of the band in the last couple of years, but I guess that's a good way to start as any. And then we segued into a band called The Government and a song called Hemingway Hated Disco Music. Yeah, that I did catch. And we 
and we are speaking, of course, to Johnny Lefton and Johnny. Well, who are, yeah, who are you? Who are you? You're, well, you're coming. You and your rockabilly bastards, are, your rockabilly <laughs> bastards, yeah. are coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada next Saturday night. Next Saturday night, in the midst of what we call Labor Day over here. And, and we, <laughs> we call it Labor Day as well too here in uh, Canada. Oh, uh, okay, okay, boiled meat and all. Yeah, I haven't quite made it up there uh, yet, so this will be my virgin voyage into this particular turf. You have never been to Canada before, Johnny Legend? Uh, probably a few times over the years, you know, like sneaking over the border from uh, Michigan and things like that, but never in any formal way, you know, never uh, actually performing or anything yet for some strange reason. You've never been to Vancouver, Canada then? Yeah, never actually toured through or anything like that. How, for, about, uh, how about Seattle? You've been close? Even to Seattle? I've been to Seattle a few times and I've uh, been to Japan a lot and Germany and Sweden. I just, for some reason, haven't uh, had j jumped over to our sister country there. So, Johnny, you and your rockabilly bastards will be playing next Saturday at the Pick Pub, as I mentioned, and I asked who are you, and you kind of, the explanation wasn't quite up there as I was. Oh, well, I mean, I don't know where to begin. I'm, uh, well, I, would just, I would just say, though, you're the guy that put words to pipeline. Exactly. I mean, that is amazing. Putting, if people are wondering, you know, what is Johnny Legend? I mean, it's a complicated story, your life, I guess, but putting words to the song Pipeline. Absolutely. Explain a bit about that. Uh, I just, I've always liked Pipeline, and, and, and about, I don't know, in the early 70s, I was in a band. And uh, just before I, I got it real heavily into the rockabilly uh, scene, before that evolved, you know, in a in a in a good form, I was doing a group that was we were doing all I don't want to use the phrase oldies, but we were doing all classic rock songs. And when we used to do Pipeline, I used to have to do a, some kind of pantomime during the song. I would get up and do a surfing act through the whole song because you know I'm a singer and I didn't play any instrument on that particular song. And I did a pretty good act, but I guess it kept eating away at me over the years. And sometime in the early '90s, I I sort of sat down one day from the perspective of, like, say, a lounge guy who'd been around in the early 60s, and he had this brainstorm to write really sincere, heartfelt lyrics to Pipeline, and as soon as he did it, he thought he was set for life, and here he is, you know, 20, 30 years later, still doing it, uh, you know, like that's his only claim to fame, and that's kind of the point of view I wrote it from. Not really tongue-in-cheek or anything. I wrote it like, you know, there have been other situations where words have been done, sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully, to hit instrumentals, and uh, I just, it, just sort of, it just sort of came over me, and I did it. It's great, like putting words to pipeline. That really sums up Johnny Legend pretty good. But I think also what sums you up pretty good, Johnny, is that you captured the woman's wrestling title by wrestling women. Yeah, exactly. I did uh, something that I checked with all the historians, and there are quite a few of them around, and I was the first um, member of my gender to, I mean, a lot of men have been, you know, had occasional wrestling matches over the years, but what I did was I refused to enter the ring unless you would put the title at stake, and this was one of these revered titles that's been around for years, and there's a whole big case history of this lineage going back with several famous world women's champions, and I actually fought this girl several times over a period of a year, losing every other time, and then finally at the end of the year, it's going on three years now I've ce I'm celebrating my third year of being the world's women's champion and I want I beat I you know I I pinned her got the belt and I've had it ever since what was her name? And how the, the girl at the time was Cheryl Lightning Russo. And if you follow female wrestling, she's pretty well known. You know, the, the belt was originally uh, uh, held by Sue Sexton and Barbara Blaze and several other notables. You've got to re realize that at this point that women's wrestling has deteriorated in this country so that it almost no longer exists. And when people, you know, when, uh, when other female wrestlers challenge me, I say, well, I'm living proof of how bad female wrestling has gotten in this country because I'm the world's champion right now, and I'm willing to say it's a disgrace. <laughs> 
Rogue Johnny Legend coming next Saturday to the Pig Pub. You've put words to Pipeline, which is rock and roll, rockabilly. Right. You've wrestled capturing the women's titles. That's you know rock and roll wrestling. But on top of that, you don't you have Tor Johnson from Plan 9 from Outer Space Coffin? That's a movie-related thing. Rock and roll wrestling movies. Yeah, I made, well, I made the video Rock and Roll Wrestling around 84 or 5, which was one of the real breakthrough videos, if you've ever seen it. It was, a first, it was one of the first marriages of really alternative music with wrestling. And, I, and at that time, I was using the only wrestling like that in the country was being done in Memphis in those areas where things were really brutal, really bloody. And I, I, I got to go through hundreds of hours of footage and come up with really, really good wrestling you know, footage to match the music I was using. It was kind of a mixture of metal and very strange progressive music, and I spent a long time getting it to all merge. And at the time, it was one of the biggest uh, independent wrestling videos ever done. It actually rivaled the WWF and the other videos that were coming out. So I was very proud of that because I not only made the video Rock and Roll Wrestling, but I established myself as Mr. Rock and Roll Wrestling, and that left all the other groups unable to use that term. So I've been able to hold on to that ever since. What's that Tor Johnson? That was a, that's Tor, that. I, I, when, well, I grew up in the same city as Tor Johnson. See, I was very lucky. And he's that big bald guy. Yeah, the giant bald guy. The and I guess wrestler. I guess you're the big bearded guy, right? Yeah, I'm the big bearded, the big, rock skinny bearded guy, and he's the big bald guy. The rockabilly Rasputin they have dubbed you. Exactly. Which, uh, is, which is pretty cool, I guess. I can live with it. You know, I've been called a lot of different things, but that's one of the ones I kind of like, you know. So you grew up with Tor then? Yeah, I grew up, I grew up living right near him. It took me until my uh, junior high school years before I realized his son lived right around the corner from me, so it took us a while to trace him down, you know, even in your own small town. And there were some sightings occasionally, so I finally b buckled down until I figured out where he lived, and then we kind of pestered him, you know, for the rest of his life, you know, driving up on bicycles when we were kids. Then as we grew up, we, we went over there in our automobiles, and we, he used to sit in front of this junk store over on San Fernando Road in a little fold-up chair, which we thought was going to collapse any minute, and we would just go there and hang out with him, you know. And the last time I saw him in the early 70s, just before he died, he was around the corner from me selling Christmas trees, if you can believe it. And uh, he had a little trailer there he was living in while he sold the trees, and uh, then he passed on. Was it easy to get stuff like that back then, like to get Tor Johnson's coffin? Was there a lot of stuff in Hollywood backlots? You have, like, Outer Limits costumes I noticed that you got. Yeah, you found out about that. No, actually, it wasn't that easy. I was just, I, you know, I just started off at an early age. I'm not really that much of a collector, but I would try to, I, I was always looking for things that were happening, and I somehow found out one day they were having the Project Unlimited auction, and they were unloading all of the old Outer Limits stuff and several other, you know, props from movies like Circus of Dr. Lau, and, the, and there weren't that many people that knew about this thing. And this was in the, what, about 65, and there were only about 50 or 80 people that showed up there, and uh, so it was very easy to get things that didn't look that good. Like, I got one of those anti-misfits for 75 cents. I, you know, I picked up a lot of amazing props. I just, I only had $10 in my pocket, and I walked away from there with a carload of stuff because other people were looking for things that were in better shape, you know, typical of collectors, looking for, like, the iRobot costume, which went for all of, I think, 140 or something. And so I was looking for, you know, beat-up costumes and things that I could actually afford. I, I walked away with the Garbage Eater uh, costume that was in the Henry Silva episode, the, the big globular thing that had a, a mouth in its stomach. I got that for three and a half dollars, the entire costume. I got one of the Xanti Misfits for 75 cents, and I got a few stray birds and things that were from uh, five weeks in a balloon, and, uh, and I got the, the snakeheads uh, from the Medusa in Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe. 
when people come and see you next Saturday night at the Pick Pub with your rockabilly bastards there, Johnny Legend. Yeah, I should probably veer a little bit to the music here. Well, no, I'm just curious. What are you going to be wearing on stage? Is there going to be interesting, interesting kind of stuff that, oh, yeah. you know... That- I wear, what I have now is I've got all of the... See, I wrote the song Pencil Neck Geek for Freddie Blassie, which some people think is the greatest record of all time. I wrote and produced that. If you're, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. Uh, who isn't? It's incredible. In fact, in Vancouver, Canada, Joey Shithead of the rock and roll band DOA covered that as well with the band Cub. Okay. And Joey Shithead also appeared in a movie with Gene Kaninsky, Canada's greatest athlete. Yeah, I, I'm very familiar with Kaninsky. You've you've hung out with him then? No, I, he, no, because I, like I said, I haven't really been in Canada, and he never came to the U.S. that much, at least not around where I lived. But I've hung around with other Canadian people. I know the Stampede guys are still friends of mine. The guys from Calgary that do Stampede Wrestling, they've been coming out here a lot lately. But I mainly hung out with L.A. wrestlers, you know, Blassie and uh, uh, the Destroyer when he was in the L.A. area. And uh, I, I have my own organization I run now called Incredibly Strange Wrestling, which is the most progressive wrestling group that's ever been conceived, you know. Now, is that out of San Francisco? Because as artists, you started that and they took your idea? Yeah, I started that, and what they're doing is they're still doing a rip-off version of my show. They just haven't been stopped yet. They basically are using the name of the show, and they're getting all really horrible people like bouncers from clubs, anybody that'll step in the ring and be a phony... You know, basically, pardon the expression, phony wrestler. Occasionally, they try to get real wrestlers to come in on the show, but most wrestlers who, who are wise to what they're doing just avoid it like the plague. And they originally were even advertising all of my wrestlers on the show, even though none of them would go near it. You know, because I have Cletus the Fetus Kincaid, and uh, the Postal Assassin, and I have the HIV Kid, and just a whole, you know, I've got the Abortionist with the Killer Coat Hanger. I've got a lot of pretty outrageous wrestlers in my group. Now, unfortunately, none of this is going to be next week at the Pick Pub, but you're going to have your rockabilly bastards there, Johnny Legend. Yeah, because I have a lot of songs I've written that are famous going back to the 70s, songs like Soak in the Bone. I do part of Pencil Neck Geek. It's in my act, uh, so that's not to be missed. How about looking at you on stage Will you be wearing any props? Yeah, let me explain that, because I have all of Freddie Blassie's old wardrobe, see, so I have all the red sequin jackets, all of the stuff that I, you know, that I grew up watching him wear in the ring, and I've had it all refurbished, and it's all immaculate, so I've got, it looks like classic, almost Little Richard or, or Liberace or disco type of clothing, but w- what I like is it's all completely authentic. It's not like something that was recycled or made by a wardrobe uh, department. This is the stuff, you know, like the, the jacket you'll see me come out on at the opening of the act, for example, is the jacket Blassie was wearing the night Bob Backlund was uh, beaten by the Iron Sheik at Madison Square Garden, which led into the Hulk Hogan era. And this is the red sequin jacket that Blassie was wearing that night, which is a very famous night in the history of wrestling. And that's, that's what I wear, you know, at the beginning of my act. What happened to Blassie? Is he still around? Oh, yeah. He just turned 80, and we were at the Tiller Convention in New Jersey last year. He turned 80? My he's God. 80. That's yeah, cool. Slow, you know, he's still out there. He's still with WWF. He still uh, does a lot of radio programs. And, uh, you know, he is 80, so he's, 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 not, he's only semi-retired. He still works with the group. He appears on TV a few times a year. They did a music video about half a year or so that, ago that he's on. And he does these conventions occasionally. You know, I was there with Blassie and, uh, uh, let's see, Abdullah the Butcher was at the convention. And this was, a, this was like a horror movie convention, but they still get a lot of wrestlers there. Well, so could... Fred's, Fred's doing fine, you know. There's a whole big thing going on now. I don't know if you know this, but Howard Stern is raving about... I also made the movie Breakfast with Blast, you know, Andy Kaufman's last film? Saw that. Okay, so I'm the producer-director of that. And uh, Howard Stern's been back to raving about it every day on his show, so it's very much in the limelight again. And, you know, they're making the Milos Forman film right now, the new Andy Kaufman film, and I've got a part in that. I'm filming in October. What movies have you been in exactly, Johnny? I've been in... uh, Like you... I've been in quite a few horror movies. I'm in Bride of Reanimator. I'm in Children of the Corn 3. Make sure you mark down 3 because the others are really awful. For some reason, once I got in there, I was in the only film of the series that was watchable. 
then they've made a four and a five, which are basically, as far as I know, terrible. So I'm in Children of the Corn 3. I'm also in a thing called Severed Ties uh, with, with Garrett Morris and Oliver Reed and Elkie Summer. And, um, hell Roller! You're in Hell Roller! Oh, yeah, you, yeah, you're really thorough there. I, I get to kill Mary Warnoff in that. What is the premise of Hell Roller? I think it, listeners would be interested in that. I don't, I can't, you know, maybe you can tell me. I've never been able to figure out the premise of that thing. It was shot on video. He gave it this sort of uh, weird widescreen effect, you know, this bogus film look. I know he just shot it on regular VHS. It wasn't even super. I don't know quite how he got it to look that way. All I know is I was, at, to tell you the truth, here's how it happened. I was at a sci-fi awards show on a Friday night, and Gary Levinson, who made the film, said, how'd you like to come out tomorrow morning and murder Mary Warnoff, first thing? And I said, well, that sounds irresistible, so I showed up on the set and shot the scene. And I don't really know much more about it. I've got a copy, but I've never really been able to watch it, so... I've, that, see, I've seen the movie Ride on Sunset Strip. Are you involved in that at all? No, I was around then, though. I was playing at... I, see, I, back then, I wasn't really doing too much movie stuff yet. I was playing at Pandora's Box and places like that. Because that seemed to be a real kind of neat time, or at least from the movie. Yeah. Were there many other cool movies from that era that have been unearthed? Because you have this big thing where you just do stuff with something weird video. Yeah, and I've like, got over 100 titles in, on, the, on that company. Are there any cool rock and roll movies from that era that have just been unearthed? You know, there's some that... I mean, they, they, they vary radically, but... There's one called Mondo Mod that is all about that exa exact same period. It's a much more low-budget film than Ride on Sunset Strip, and you have to bear with a lot of automotive and surfing footage. But you get to go to the, some of the clubs and see really forgotten bands. And so there's some things in that movie that are really accurate from that period. Uh, that's one I, that I have out on video called Mondo Mod um, that really is right in that 66, 67 period. I've seen the trailer of that. It says it has like a guy in a motorbike coming forward. Yeah. And, and it says screw it on with the outlaws or something like that. Are you into biker movies? Because uh, a, a, a couple of listeners were wondering when I mentioned you were going to be on the show today, Johnny. And again, this is Johnny Legend, who's coming with his rockabilly bastards next Saturday night to the Pick Pub. And you're going to be performing there with your band. But we're speaking here live to Johnny. And a couple people mentioned mentioned that when I said you were going to be on the show, they asked about biker movies, any of your favorite biker movies. Uh, I'm, a, I'm also a connoisseur of that. If you look at Easy Riders, Volume 34, that's the, 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 the biker video magazine. On video, not, not a paper magazine, but a video magazine. I appear on there as the king of the biker films, and I speak eloquently of all the, all the major and minor films and, and also show clips from them. So that's another thing I have out. That, uh, so I, yeah, I grew up and I was, a, uh, I was a biker file. One of the guys in, my, you know, in the band, I've got a lot, you know, I hang around a lot of, of you know, biker people. Um, you want to know some of my favorites? Let's see. I, I mean, I, I liked uh, Savage 7. Uh, you know, I just caught up with the Pink Angels, which was like the only gay biker film, which was kind of hysterical. I really liked Born Losers a lot when it was first out. You know, the Tom Laughlin one that he tried to disown a few years later. And then, you know, I was just arguing with somebody last night about Chrome and Hot Leather because uh, I thought it was a little overrated at the time it came out, but uh, it might look a little better over the years. Also, Angel Unchained with Tyne Daly, the one bikers versus hippies. And I think my favorite that I've been dying to see again for over 20 years was Wild Wheels, which is this really obscure bikers versus dune buggies country and western movie, if you can imagine. And it's shot for totally low budget. It's got about 10 songs performed in the film. It's, got, it's totally a lowbrow affair, almost like a, a, a brain-damaged Cassavetes type of movie, you know, shot cinema verite. And it actually had a soundtrack album on RCA in 1970. And the reason I know is I was signed on RCA for about 30 days at the time period they put out the, that album. And I said, my God, if they're putting out the, out the album to that, I must be doomed. 
Uh, well, I want to see this stuff. How do you get? Is this the something weird video catalog that people can right away and get? Yeah, you, yeah. I've got several biker films in there, and then I, I, people keep asking me about this, and I say, you know what you have to do is you. There's a, most biker films have now been put out on video, but you just kind of have to. If you don't go through something weird, I also have Black Angels out, which is a very fascinating, you know, black biker film. Uh, you know, from the early '70s, almost at the tail end of the whole thing. So I have out the ones I have out under my banner are Black Angels. I've got It's a Revolution Mother, which is this really hysterical biker documentary with a Jack Webb-style narration all the way through it that's really, really, you know, kind of grotesque but fascinating. And then you just kind of have to haunt the, the, the video stores. Some video stores actually have a biker section. But the trick is that all the biker films have been issued by sort of by the original studios. So you have to kind of go by which company put it out. And if you look around, you'll, you know, the main ones, obviously, like Hell's Angels on Wheels with Jack Nicholson. And then you've got to look around for Rebel Rousers and things like that. And, and if you look at the mail order, usually if you get a couple magazines like Film Facts, Outray, Psychotronic, and you look up in there, you can usually find anything you're looking for if you just, you just have to look and find these mail order companies that have them. Can people mail order directly from you at all, Johnny? Um, they can try. They can try, and I can try to put them in the right direction, you know, if I don't have it. Do you have a contact number or address you can give yeah, to the listeners? Yeah, I have an address people can write to. Do you want to give that to the listeners right now? Again, this is Johnny Legend, who's coming next Saturday. Next Saturday. You're not going to believe this show, because the show I've been doing lately has been, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but there's been like an explosion of certain types of activity coming in, in and out of the audience, particularly among female members of the audience that the media has been noticing a lot in the last year or so, and I haven't been able to quite figure it out, but it's, it's been happening, and I, you know, it seems to just happen of its own volition. It's an uncontrollable thing, and uh, I'm kind of proud that it's happening, you know, because I'm no matinee idol, to put it mildly. Well, maybe we should bribe people to have to come to the show to get your address, but just in case they want your address, what's a, a mailbox? Johnny Legend, 647 Orange Grove Avenue, San Fernando, that's two words, San Fernando, California, 91340. One more time in case people are listening to this, or if people listen to this on tape and re they rewound the tape, they would hear Johnny Legend say his address is? Yeah, Johnny Legend, 647 Orange Grove Avenue, San Fernando, California, 91340. Or come to the gig next Saturday night at the Pig Pub and check it out with Johnny firsthand. You talk to your fans, don't you? There's a fans. Yeah, I talk to people. I talk to everybody. I'm like a, you know, wide-open guy. I've been doing this for a long time. I was, uh, we were talking about the strip, and the one thing I didn't get to tell you is I was playing at the London Fog the night before the doors opened. The first time they drove into town from Venice and played on the Sunset Strip, I'm the guy that was playing there the night before. Only I live to tell about it, if you know what I mean. Were you ever on Gilligan's Island or F Troop at all, Johnny? No. Did you do any TV? Did you attend any Gilligan's Island TV parties? I think that mainstream. I was like a kid in a band, you know, playing on the Sunset Strip and hanging around the film scene and doing a few weird little TV shows. And I, then I did a few scores for adult movies in the late 60s. And then I started appearing in some films in the 70s. And then as it got more into the 80s, I started doing more and more of this film type of work. And uh, then in the last eight or nine, ten years, I've been, been doing a lot more films. I just did another one called Bug Buster with Randy Quaid and two of the Star Trek uh, guys, George Takai and uh, James Doohan. And I get, I get, I'm a demented country and western singer. I get murdered on stage playing a sax solo. Uh, so that's an interesting film that's still about to come out. It isn't out yet. But you didn't do any extra work at all back in the 60s, like just standing in a lot? They could check you out in a movie, like in an episode of I Dream of Genie or something no, like no, that? No, no, I know a few films. I mean, there's a few stray pictures that are out that I've got, you know, scenes you can barely find me in. Uh, there's one horrible film called Gabriella Gabriella. It's out on something weird. It's a fascinating misfire. It's a film that was actually financed by Jerry 
Lewis's orchestra, if you can believe it. It was an X-rated movie at the time. And the distributor got everyone into a squeeze play and, and basically took the film away from the people who made it, shot new footage, and released it as Class of 74. And I'm in there in a lot of scenes, hanging around Gazzari's and, and also playing a free press salesman, you know, little things like that. Johnny Legend, where does something weird video find all these videos? Where do they unearth them from? They work at it diligently day and night. You know, if you're really if you're really willing to buckle down and keep at it and follow up clues, and you got you know you end up you know, call up old forgotten people who used to work at a drive-in in the middle of Texas, and then there are still companies you know in, in some of the major cities that have been down for years. But if you look hard enough, hopefully in a lot of cases the stuff is still stored somewhere. And just when you know, I mean, in the, in the early '80s, I swear it took me like it would take me a year just to find enough material to do a sleaze mania. That was a video series I had out, and over the years, the material hasn't gotten less and less, it's gotten more and more. Now they find these films, I mean, some, Mike Vraney at Something Weird will find like thousands of titles at a time. I mean, I'll just, I'll just faint when I look at the stuff, you know. I've who, got... Who is David Fre Friedman? Who is David Friedman? David Friedman is a notorious guy in the film business who's been around since the 30s. He was one of the, he's one of the producers of Blood Feast and 2000 Maniacs, and he was one of the founders of the Pussycat Theaters, and so he covers the whole, he used to work in the studio system, and he's been around, like, like I say, going back to the 30s, 40s, and 50s, he grew up in the old atmosphere of the road show thing where you would take your movie on the road with all kinds of gimmicks, and you would kind of rent theaters, show the film yourself, try not to get arrested by the police, and, and that kind of thing. He's a, he's, he's a guy who, who grew up out, you know, he's a big Carnival fan, and he grew up in that atmosphere, that old hardcore Americana from the early days, and uh, he's still a great cigar smoking, you know. And something weird took a whole bunch of his films and re-released them, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, they took pretty much his whole library. Because I'm also a distributor. I, ru I run films in theaters quite a bit. You know, I, I make films, and, I, and I'm a distributor, and I put films in theaters, and sometimes I book Dave's stuff. And I've even appeared with Dave. We've done a, something resembling a vaudeville act at a couple of these horror conventions, you know, like Legend and uh, Friedman. And he'll get up and sort of do, take answers and do straight talk, and then I'll come in and fill in all the weird edges around the things. What's the movie Switchblade Sister all about? What's the importance of that? Well, the importance of that is I walked into a theater uh, 20 years ago, uh, saw that thing, and you know, it was being thrown away on a double bill for a one-week run in L.A. back around, oh, it would have been 76, I think, right? And um, I saw the film. I said, man, this is a masterpiece. I said, someday I'm going to get this film and get it released you know, properly because it was sort of an almost futuristic exploitation film about these girl gangs having knife fights at like fast food places. And it was just a total epic that I thought really just, you know, it was being underappreciated. It needed to be released more like a Clockwork Orange type of film or something. So, you know, 20 years later, I finally ran in, uh, started running into Quentin Tarantino in 1995, just before Pulp Fiction came out. And we sort of uh, formed this kind of uh, rabid, unholy alliance, and we did a, you know, we did a TV appearance together that year. Does he know his stuff? Is he really into the old stuff? Because there's all that legends of him liking it, Johnny Legend, you would know. Is he really into that? Oh, yeah, he's a fanatic. He's a complete fanatic. So in 96, Tarantino and I finally, you know, co-released Switchblade Sisters. I mean, I was working with the director, Jack Hill. He and I became good friends in the early 90s. So Jack and I had already gone back. We found the negative to Switchblade. We revived Spider Baby. We were going back and basically putting all of his films back on the map and out on video and Laserdisc. And Quentin came along, and he was a big Jack Hill fanatic. So it took us till 96, but if you know the Rolling Thunder, that's the, that's the special wing that Tarantino started to put films out. And Switchblade Sisters was the second release on Rolling Thunder. And if you look close at the advertising, you'll see it says Rolling Thunder 
Carpenter and Johnny Legend present. And it should be at the lo your local video yeah, store. That one here? is on Miramax Video, so it's not really hard to find. That should be at every. That's that's one of the few things I can say that I have that you don't have to look all over for. Switchblade Sister. What did you think of the movie Ed Wood? Did you ever meet Ed Wood at all, Johnny? Yeah, Johnny I met Legend? Ed Wood in 1961 over at Forty Ackerman's house. And uh, he accused me of being the first Ed Wood fan because no one there knew who he was or anything. You know, and Plan 9 still hadn't been out. And I was asking him questions all day. It was a busy day because Tor Johnson was there, too. And I was just a little kid, but I was hanging around Ed Wood because I knew everything he'd ever done. You know, I knew all of his films, and I knew Bride of the Monster. And, you know, and the people there were early science fiction fans, and they could care less about Ed Wood. So I just, I didn't know any of the stuff about the cross-dressing at that point, and it uh, wasn't an issue in that particular day. But I still have my very first issue of Famous Monsters of Filmland, and on and my front page of that, I didn't go to any of the big celebrities like Forey or, you know, the other actors who were there. I went to Ed Wood, and he signed, he, 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 he put a little special message on my, on, my, on my issue. And it says, to me, you know, whenever better monsters are, are made, I'll try. Ed, Edward D. Wood Jr., as if it was some secret message he was leaving me for the future. Did you make it into the movie at all, or what did you think of the movie? Um, I actually liked it quite a bit. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm not one of these people who goes berserk when they change all the details. You know what I mean? I mean, I thought it was a lot of it was total fantasy, and uh, I just said, regardless of what you know, what's true and what isn't true, because I, I, you know, I saw. I mean, I knew, you know, half half the stuff in there was basically just switched around, you know, stuff that just wasn't really factual. And the fact that it ended, you know, at a, with Plan 9 premiering at the Pantages, I mean, it was like a total fantasy thing, because none of the stuff about Ed Wood's life, the horrible last several years of his life, which I, I still think would make an, another movie. Someday I'm hoping to make a film called Ed or Edna, The Last Days of Ed Wood on Earth, because I think that would make a great film. But it was pure fantasy, but I thought on its own terms it was a great film. So, Johnny, you know what I'm saying? Johnny Legend, coming next, yes I do, coming next Saturday yeah. to the Piccadilly Park. You put words to Pipeline. You've captured the women's wrestling title by Wrestling Women. You have Tor Johnson's coffin exactly. from Plan 9 from Outer Space. You've got Outer Limits costumes. You're playing next week. You also delved into rockabilly porn. Oh, yeah. I made the first X-rated rockabilly film, and to date I think it's still the only one. Uh, Young, Hot, and Nasty Teenage Cruisers, which was made uh, 21 years ago. We're having a 21st anniversary party this year, sort of. And uh, that was also an early soundtrack album that featured the Blasters and Billy Zoom and Ray Campy and me. And, uh, yeah, at the time, that was like a really ridiculously ambitious thing to be doing. This was in 1976, just before punk rock came in. And uh, instead of just making uh, a run-of-the-mill X-rated movie, I, I decided to try to do Rock Around the Clock or something. So I did an entire Rolling Rock soundtrack. Uh, three songs are performed in the film and, and that kind of thing. Will any of those be performed when you perform next Saturday at all? Any what? Any of those songs? You oh, yeah, I'll be doing some songs from the film. Did you ever meet Charles Manson or the Beach Boys at all, Johnny Who? Legend? Charles Manson or the Beach Boys? Yeah, uh, well, that, yeah, the Beach Boys is another whole story. Uh, I, I got to be good friends with Dennis Wilson at the very end, just before he passed away. He was, we were hanging around a lot at Venice Beach. I missed, uh, luckily, I missed the Manson connection, you know. Because it seemed to be a pretty wild time there in L.A., you know, the riot on Sunset Strip, Mondo Mod era. Yeah. It, it just, it's tons of stuff was happening there. Like, I was looking through a teen mag called Fave the other day, and it said, come along to Tiny Tim's after show party. And they were talking about how Tiny Tim did a gig, and they had this after show party. Would you have gone to, like, Tiny Tim's after show party? Were you hanging out on that scene at all, Johnny Legend? Oh, yeah, completely. I was at the first big breakthrough show Tiny Tim did at the, at the Santa Monica 
Pacific Civic, right when he finally became a superstar. And then after that, I saw every. I thought he was one of the great geniuses of the century. Totally misunderstood by a lot of people. And I went to every show he did in L.A. through the years. As a, you know, he started off with a full-fledged orchestra, just like a '40s or '30s musical with with pigeons, with props, everything. Next time he played with about a 10 or 15-piece orchestra at the Troubadour. Then as a sh over the years, his his show mutated down backwards. You know, reverse evolution to the point where the last time I saw him, all he could afford was one guy on a piano with a, a drummer with a foot pedal. And he still did his whole complete act, even though he had no orchestra or anything. He still did the entire thing, you know, flawlessly. It said Sajid was there. Do you know the guy Sajid? Uh, that rings a bell. I'm not sure who that is. It was like some teen TV star. You, and have, then, to, you have to forgive me. I just talked to Kim Fowley about an hour and a half ago, and that's the first time I spoke to him in about 25 years. That so. was my, uh, one of my questions. What's your relationship with Kim Fowley? None, really. I just I hadn't spoken to him since the early 70s, and I was over at Dionysus, which is the label my new CD's coming out on, by the way, on October 23rd. Um, Bitchin is my new CD, and uh, they're always bugging me about Fowley also, saying, didn't you guys do this, didn't you guys do that? And I said, no, not really. So Fowley, they got him on the phone. He's in New Orleans, so I got on the phone and started bringing up things I'd seen him do over the years, and he's one of these guys who prides himself in saying that he can't remember anything that's ever happened. You know, he, he's only thinking of the future. He doesn't want to hear about the past. But then he started babbling about a bunch of things from the past, you know. Because I've only run into him under strange circumstances. Like, I was one night at the Hullabaloo, and he was fronting for P.J. Proby. And he went out and tried to warm up the audience for about ten minutes, and everyone just was starting to boo and catcall him until Proby finally came out. So, Did you bring this up to him at all? Um, I, I brought it up under, under more, f under more favorable-sounding terms, you know what I mean? I told him that, and I reminded him of the night we were on the Sunset Strip, because, see, I'm one of these people who can remember every minute of my life. I can remember, like, almost every conversation, everything I've ever done. Is there anything you don't have an answer for? You're amazing, Johnny Legend. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, if you can find something I don't have an answer for, it probably means I'm, 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 I'm lying to you. <laughs> But yeah, also, you know, I reminded Fowley one night we were on the strip and the and the power got blown out on the strip and it was a really hysterical night, and he and he claimed he didn't remember any of these various things. So, where were we just before Fowley? Oh, Beach Boys. Just so you know, the first song I'm doing on my set, I'm very proud of this. This is one of my main originals called "Soak in the Bone." It was the title of my second solo album back in the early '80s. And that song was actually inspired by Dennis Wilson because he called us one night and I was supposed to meet him at this house in Venice at about 10 o'clock in the morning. And he said, you got to be here. You know, his voice was almost gone at that point. Johnny, you just got to be here at 10 o'clock. There's some really important stuff happening. Get over here. Johnny, please, 10 o'clock. So I go over there. We're at 10 o'clock. We ring the bell. No answer. We're knocking on the door. We're not. This is standard procedure. So we started knocking on the windows and everything. And then one of his lackeys looked at me, you know, very sternly and said, Johnny, I think he's soaking the bone. <laughs> So I went home and wrote a song called that, and that's the first song I do in my set. So that was inspired by Dennis Wilson, along with the night he put his foot on a table and handed me a butcher knife and told me to dig glass out of his foot. So he was a pretty fascinating character, I must say. And that's the first song next Saturday night. First song next Saturday night, inspired at, by Dennis himself. At the, at the Pick Pub. It seems so neat, though. Is Hollywood different? Well, actually, obviously, see Hollywood is different then. I remember going to Universal Studios years ago, and I went to one of those cafeteria things, you know, like you go for the ride, and you go to eat, you get to eat lunch in like the cafeteria. And I remember seeing like Cylons from Battlestar Galactica walking by. Oh, yeah. And I was so excited. But I went there again and I didn't see that. I mean, is it, is it, is it, is that era over now? Like, was it really easy to get, if you want to, on the set of Star Trek back then to be friends with Sulu? Was it easy to get, I mean, is that over now? 
I guess it's over. Back then it wouldn't have been that hard because that was when the show was in production, it wasn't really a big hit or anything. So it probably would have been pretty easy back then. Now you can go to these conventions and see all these people and you can see 5,000 people in those costumes roaming around and things like that and ad nauseum, if you know what I mean. Johnny, did you go to any Hollywood parties with the monkeys or Paul Revere and the Raiders at all? Because they were hanging a lot around Hollywood at that time. Uh, well, I can honestly say I didn't go to any parties, but in the very late 60s, I, I, I went through a period where I was hanging out at Peter Tork's house. Uh, this was in the period where basically the monkeys were finally becoming kaput, if you know what I mean. And he was going into his real cosmic period. And he, uh, I would go there, I don't know, sometimes a few times a week. He still had a nice house. He was. This was before he totally hit the skids and ended up crashing on people's couches and stuff for a few years. But he still had, like, the house in Laurel Canyon. And I'll, the main thing I remember is that Buddy Miles, the old drummer, used to come by all the time. And Barry McGuire used to show up with a big bottle of Red Mountain wine. And I'd sit there, and I'd, I'd always say something that ticked him off the wrong way because he was in a... I, I, he, he struck me as being in an early period of political correctness. Like if you made a, jo a joke about... Uh a Christian scientist or something, he'd get all upset and say, those people are very, you know, and years later when I ran into him again in the late 80s, I tried to point out to him that I used to hang around his house, and he just smiled and kind of changed the subject. Did he, he did remember you, though. I don't know if he did or not. It's hard to say, because I was going around there with some, you know, some unusual people. I didn't use what, to... What sort of unusual people were you hanging with, Johnny Legend? Just various stray people that, like, used to be in the Mothers, and, uh, you know, just weird L.A. musicians uh, that were still, you know, Ray Collins was a friend of mine back then, the lead singer from the Mothers of Invention, people like that. I, I used to go to parties at, like, Zappa's house, and when the Fugs were in town, I would hang around with them if possible. And, uh, you know, the only time Sid Barrett ever came to this country, I managed to catch his show, that kind of thing. Do you ever meet Elvis or Sinatra at all, just by default, bumping I into them? I Sinatra when I was an infant, just before his comeback period in the early 50s. I've always prided myself in this. I saw him in Vegas when he was playing at a lesser club just before From Here to Eternity and all that. So I got to see him, you know, when he was, <laughs> when he was on the decline, and and never, you know, all those years went by, and I never caught him again. And Elvis, I never actually met. I got to see him one time, maybe a year before he died. I finally caught his show out here, and I had a run-in with the Memphis Mafia, and they were threatening to put me in jail and all that. And it was why? Because he looked like a hippie or something? Why? No, it was one of these stupid things where I went to a show, and it was totally sold out, and I had, naturally being me, I had a bunch of old color photos from uh, from Loving You that I that I that I'd acquired that year, that they'd been sealed off somewhere. You know, you're talking about finding this old stuff. I'd found a box of photos from Loving You that had been sealed off back in a theater exchange in Oklahoma back in the 50s. And I'd, got, I'd, I'd acquired this stuff as part of a whole deal I made for, for movie posters. So at the time, I, I took a stack of those with me, and I said, you know, this thing sold out, but I bet I can, I can trade these around or something and find some way to get a ticket to this thing, because I figured they were priceless. Unfortunately, I didn't know how ruthless the Memphis Mafia was at that time, and I saw that they were going around rousting people, busting people for scalping, even though they weren't scalping, things like that. So I said, okay, I ain't going to do that. I tried to go back to my car and put the stuff in my trunk, and one of them followed me out to the parking lot, got me into an arm lock and dragged me into their boiler room where they put me under lights and grilled me down for about 20 minutes. Then they, then they were trying to tell me that these photos had been stolen, and they knew I had a... They said they knew I had a truck somewhere with, with 50,000 of these photos, and I had to turn them over, and they were asking me if I was ready to go to jail, would I make bail? And I just said, you guys, look. I said, I came up here with a few of these photos. I thought I could get a ticket. You know, I don't... I, I, it's sold out. I've never seen Elvis, blah, blah, blah. And they finally just... They told me they were taking me to the paddy wagon where I was going to go to jail. Then they took me to a door, tossed the door open, and said, enjoy the night, and threw me out there. Oh, my God. That night, I found a sympathetic security guard, and I told him the whole story, and he said, man, that, that's a jive deal, and he actually let me come in for free later, so. Did, so did they take all your cards then? 
the photos? Yeah. I only had about three or four with me. I I didn't mind. I had I had a you know I had another five hundred or so at home, but I didn't have fifty thousand of them or anything like that. So Johnny Legend, is there much left? Is there much left out there? When I was uh, in Hollywood, I guess about a year ago, I went to that exes of um, exes who I think you hit on at one time, didn't you? Hit yeah. On... Where'd you hear that story? Oh, just it's a legend that Johnny Legend hit on exes of the punk band. X. Yeah, it was a mutual hitting. I mean, that was a stray night in the late seventies. We were to think in Venice called Rick's Rockabilly Roundup, watching some friends of ours playing and we were both uh you know drinking uh, so like i said I, she might not even remember because i remember every minute of my life and i just remember we were already sort of friends at that point next thing i knew we were sort of uh i think they call it french kissing and you know doing a few things like that and then uh, that's about as far as it went and uh, yeah that was a not one straight night in the late 70s and that's also the connection because billy zoom who played in one of your bands earlier of course as part of x at that time yeah now was billy zoom did he play with eddie cochran or anybody like that or gene Vincent, didn't he go I think he did a little bit with Vincent. I don't know about. I think I don't think he really played with Eddie Cochran or anything like that. I didn't meet him till the early '70s. And, and what happened is we formed a band that at the time was the first rockabilly band of the modern age. It was called the Rolling Rock Rebels, and there were five lead singers and a drummer. The band was myself, Ray Campy, Wildman Tony Khan, Billy Zoom, and Rolling Colin Winsky, and a drummer. So we were a self-contained band with two rhythm guitars, lead guitar, stand-up bass, and drums. And so I was in that band with Zoom for. Barely a year or so that band existed before he went off and formed the Billy Zoom Trio. But we've remained friends all through the years. You know, I've had periods where I know a lot of he wasn't talking to almost anybody, and uh, we've pretty much remained friends all these years. It's been a while now since I've seen him. Is he fixing amps right he's now? He's fixing amps and stuff, but he's he's very flush again right now because they've been doing a series of X reunions. You know, they did they did one about I don't know what three or four months ago, and they swore they were never going to do it again. Then sure enough, about a month or so later, they played uh, at the at the what's it called out here the hoot nanny so and then i heard just a couple weeks ago they were opening for uh, who is it the b-52s or somebody whatever oh, so Pearl in, in Jam words, or something like that they've been doing a series of of x reunions which is almost you know after, uh, how many re reunions do you do before you call it an active band again and I know he's getting a big chunk of money for each show, so he's you know he's he's back in the limelight for the moment. There have been big cover stories on him in the local magazines, and I know he's uh, he's doing quite well, at least at the moment. So I know in Vancouver he got spat on when he was with X, and he walked right off stage. He didn't like that at all. Oh, I still get spit on now, and it doesn't bother me. I just have the people uh, hauled off if possible. Uh, so I was just gonna say about the Xine store. She had like stucco from Sharon Tate's house. Like you could buy stucco. I guess they wrecked Sharon. Sharon Tate's house. They ripped it down. Uh -huh. And you could buy stucco, you know, as a souvenir from Sharon Tate's house. Is there anything left out Hollywood? Is there anything left? I don't spend, you know, like I said, I'm not totally a collector because I had to make a decision at some point in life. I was either going to collect stuff for the rest of my life or go out and do things. So I sort of chose the, the other because I have friends who literally collect and that's like what they do with their lives. Well, and they, surely you know, there must be some good garage sales in Hollywood, like guys trying to sell Emmy Awards and stuff like that. Yeah, there's stuff, I mean, there are things that, you know, people still, I mean, just when you think everything's gone, I mean, all the old movie memorabilia, you think it's gone. Stuff I was like selling for three or four dollars a few years ago is selling for like a thousand, two thousand now. It's like, it's totally ridiculous, but people still find these things. I mean, I don't know how much more there is left to find, but people, like you say, with something weird video, every several times a year they find another film library. Uh, the stuff, I guess, if you know where to dig, is, is still out there. I guess it's like uh, the remains of dinosaurs. It'll, it'll, it'll just never end, as long as people know where to dig. Do you run Hollywood Book and Poster? No, that's just a, a close friend of mine, uh, Eric Caden. 
is, uh, you know, he started that in the 70s, and that's sort of like a secondary headquarters for me. I, I try to keep my material over there. Eric and I occasionally promote shows together. He's been a, he's another guy that was hanging around the strip in the 60s, uh, you know, like I was, and I didn't really get to know him until the 70s. So that's just sort of a, an occasional hangout of mine. Have you ever met Andy Sidaris at all? I don't know if I have or not. I know the name quite well. Because he's a great film video director, you know, film video director, Andy Sidaris. He's right, I know the name very well. Hard Ticket to Hawaii and Seven. Okay. Oh, what, oh, no, what was your band in the 60s like? Did you get any releases out at all? Johnny Legend, of course, the Johnny Legend Rockabilly Bastards are coming next Saturday, the 5th, to the Pick Pub here in Vancouver. But what was your band winding up here in the 60s like at that time? Because you were rocking back then. What was your name? The, the, the first group we had was called Seeds of Time. That's the group I was playing in when we... Because, uh, you know, there was a Seeds of Time in Vancouver, too. There was? Yeah, there was. With the full, with that full name? With that full name and records of theirs are been released on compilation records. Out oh, of that's amazing, because of all these fanatics I've known over the years, you're the first one that's told me that, so that's, that's astounding to hear. Because I've got people, just a few weeks ago, my friend... Uh, Deke of, of, uh, of the Deke Dickerson group. The Untamed Youth and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He found an old Teenage Fair <laughs> program from, you know, the mid-60s where he was able to determine that my band, because, you know, at the Teenage Fair they had a bunch of stages and there would be 30, 40, 50 bands playing in addition to, to say, Donovan and Freddie Cannon and, and Sir Douglas Quintet and all the amazing people that were on the main stage. So he actually found an old program that had my band listed on one of the stages, which is pretty damn thorough if you think about it. So that was the name Seeds of Time then. Yeah. That we were playing in the, we played, you know, with the Sunrays and uh You didn't do any releases though, did you? No. No, we were like one of those groups that was, you know, banging around hitting up in the record companies and luckily I I, I to this day I pride myself in the fact that we don't we didn't have any stray record that was like number 198 for 3 days, you know, back in cuz if if I had that people would still come up and say, "Oh yeah, you had that number 198 uh that was on the chart, you know, on on July 14th in 1967." And you know, that's the kind of thing you wear for the rest of your life. So I, you know, I don't have one ounce of has binary in me, well, which I'm very proud of. Who was the best band at that time? Like, who was the best? It wasn't the Seeds. You didn't really like the Seeds, no, did they, you? They, they evolved the same time we did, and it was pretty funny, because we were hanging around a lot of the same places, and Sky Saxon used to always come up to me, and, you know, he'd be doing his flower power thing when it was a total phony act, and then he'd come up to me and say, hey, man, I love you like a brother, but I'm going to have to sue your ass, man, because you can't have that name, and I used to say, hey, man, we, we evolved at the same time, and no one ever confuses our groups, you know, but then eventually people started asking us to play Push and Do Hard, so we had to, we finally realized we had to change, and now, th 30 years later, I do Push and Do Hard as a finale, just to, to show I got the last laugh on that idiot. Like You'll be doing next Saturday night the pick uh, up yeah. or Johnny Legend. If we get to that point in the set, uh, we'll be doing that. What about Love? Were they the best group? Like, what was the best group here? Just wondering, what was the best group from the Love 60s? Love was pretty, was pretty good. See, I was lucky. One night I went to a club with a fake ID when I was still in high school, and I got to see two bands that were totally unknown, and they were last-minute replacements, if you can believe it. The Modern Folk Quartet was supposed to play a concert at this club called The Trip, which you've probably seen in a lot of movies and things. It was, it was, it was, it, it, it eventually became the Playboy Club on the Strip, but for a brief period, it was like the big sort of LSD-related club on the Sunset Strip, and it was called The Trip. So I went there one night to see the Modern Folk Quartet, who were a pretty big act at the time, and the guy got up and made an announcement and said, uh, Bummer, man, we got some bad news for you. Modern Folk Quartet can't be here tonight, so if anybody wants a refund, you can have it, but we got two new groups. We think you're really going to love them. You haven't heard them, but they're really going to be big, and the names are Love and the Mothers. So I got to see both of them play like a one-hour-plus set when they were totally unknown. Uh, and I thought, you know... And there you have it.
an interview with Johnny Legend. And the interview ends because, believe it or not, the tape continues on for about four or five other sides. But that was a request for a caller who wanted to hear my interview with Johnny Legend from August 28th, 1998. I wish we could play more of it. However, like I say, it goes on for five sides. Johnny Legend is amazing. This every time, like... The first time I had him on my show, it wasn't enough, so I had him on another week, another week, and this interview went on. It's just, it's incredible. All the stuff that's out there. In fact, if you have any requests, 604-822-2487, UBCCITR, 604-UBCCITR, or Nardwar at Nardwar.com. What would you be requesting? Well, interviews that I, Nardwar to Human Serviette, have done during the past 20 years. Why 20 years? Because we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show here today. 1987 to 2007. Started last night at 9 p.m. and it could go straight till 5 p.m. today, Friday. So 20 years, 20 hours of the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. Right now, we're going to play another request, an interview that I did with Michael Moore. Actually, two interviews that I did for Michael Moore. Now, the first one here is from November 1st, 1996. And this is with Michael Moore. And again, you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And this is a request, and it goes out to Tom. Tom, thanks for listening to the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show all these years and remembering all these interviews. Tom also requested a Johnny Marr interview. We didn't get a chance to find that one at the moment. We'll look some more. We do know it is up at Nardwar.com. There are some interviews up at Nardwar.com that you can check out. But right now, here is, this goes out to Tom, Michael Moore from 1996. The specific date, November the 1st, 1996. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That is amazing. Today is November the 2nd. So here you go, Michael Moore. Rise up. Rise up and do what? Get rid of the name British in your province. You are your own province. Thank you. you are your own country. You want to get the queen off the money, get the British out of the name. Just do, man, just like, come on. You guys got such a great country as it is. Just like, get over it, man. Just get over it. That, that UK thing, man, the Brits, they're like dragging you down. They're like a big, big albatross, big stone around your neck. Okay. Can you ask some questions, Michael? Would yeah. That be okay? Yeah, sure. Okay. Inside, inside. Oh, good. The, the great Vancouver Film School. Yeah. Yes, and the famous alumni are Kevin Smith, the guy who did Clerks. He only was he only was there three months, but they take credit for him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, Michael Moore, who are you? I am Kevin Smith. How is Superman's cousin, Michael Moore? Superman's cousin. Who is that? From Roger and Me. The guy that got shot. Oh, the poor guy that got shot. Oh, he's alive. He's alive. He recovered. He was in a mental institution for a while, but he's okay now. How does it feel to be back in Canada? Canada, you know, home of 60s thinking and David Gilmore, the CBC. <laughs> Is he still alive? David Gilmore? Yeah. He's or 60s thinking. You're getting 60s thinking. You know what I'm referring to there, eh, Michael Moore? 
<laughs> no, I'm talking about David Gilmore. Is he still with us? Yes, it? he's still functioning. He's still functioning. How do they keep him alive? Is there like some secret drug or some kind of thing that the Undertaker uses to prop him up? Taxpayers' money. Oh, taxpayers' money. That's it. You 60s thinker, you. Oh, that's oh, that's what the CBC guy said to me, right? In an interview. That's right. The head of the well, who was that guy, anyways? He just kept Alan Frank or something. Uh, like yeah, that? he kept pounding on me. He goes, Yeah, you're still in the 60s. You got 60s thinking, you know. And I'm going, 60s thinking. I was like three in the 60s. <laughs> How are you doing, Michael Moore? How are you doing? I'm tired. No, are you blacklisted? Am I black? Because I'm afraid that you're like blacklisted. You're going to be like Orson Welles. You know, Orson Welles did. What happened to him? Citizen Kane. Michael Moore did. <laughs> uh. Roger and me. Oh. Orson Welles fought William Randolph Hearst. <laughs> Michael yeah. Moore fought. Well, you just keep answering the Roger question. Smith. Are you okay, though? Are you going to be okay? Like, are you going to be okay? Are you going to be blacklisted? Is, is your life paralleling his? Uh, well, I don't think so. I've been very fortunate, you know. I mean, uh, first I got, you know, to have Roger and me out there. Then TV Nation, you know, two summers of TV Nation. We won the Emmy Award. Uh, now my book uh, just went on the bestseller list, uh, Downsize This. So. So uh, I would say... But Canadian Bacon, didn't they kind of screw you on that? Because that was a great film. Did it even get a U.S. official, U.S. release? Like Orson Welles, he was kind of screwed. And are you like Orson Welles? Like, you know, it's Canadian Bacon. Could it have been an Orson Welles film? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, they did this market research with Canadian Bacon, the U.S. company, and, and uh, uh, their test results uh, told them that uh, people didn't want to go laugh at a film with a guy who had died, namely John Candy. So because of that, because they felt that the... That Americans would think that the film was too anti-American. Um, they did not give it a proper distribution in America. How much influence, though, do these executives have? Did they force you to hire, like, Karen MTV Duffy? What was she doing on, you know, there? What was she doing on TV Nation? What are you, you know, this is a prime example of what people that drink too much coffee here in this part of the country, you know? Karen MTV Duffy, why was she? Louis Theroux, you know, he was way better. How many, how many, how many hours a day do you spend at Starbucks, sir? You, you've got to calm down. Karen MTV Duffy. What's the explanation behind her? What do you mean, what's the explanation behind her? Look at her, damn it. You know, she's great. What are you talking about? How can you single people out? Isn't it kind of scary to single these executives up? I understand you're going to be picketing outside of Nike. Isn't it dangerous? I mean, you're targeting these people. These people killed Kennedy, Michael Moore. Aren't you a bit worried? <laughs> okay, I'm convinced now. It's not coffee. It's crack. The guy is on crack. <laughs> now, what was the question? I forgot the well, question. The, well, the, well, the question here was, Roger Smith was a bad guy. Roger was a bad guy. Does that make, yeah, right, does that make right. Bill Gates a good guy because he's hiring lots of people? Bill Gates, computer age, is he a good guy, Michael Moore? Bill Gates is the Antichrist. But he's hiring people. No, he's the Antichrist. That, the, the Antichrist will always come. It says it in the Bible in Revelations chapter 6. Verse no, no, I'm telling you. Listen, I'm, I'm giving you a Bible lesson, damn it. Listen to me. You know, Bill Gates, he has come here to hire a lot of people and to, and to shift the technology into a, a situation where he will rule the world. He will rule the world. Do you understand? Roger and me, do we think it was better in Canadian bacon? Was Roger and me better in Canadian bacon, Michael Moore? Roger and me was better in Canadian than it was in English. Are they forcing you to comedy? You're writing sitcoms now. Like, are they trying to dull you? You know, like Matt Groening, he did, you know, Life in Hell and became The Simpsons. Are you going to end up that way? Please don't do it, Michael Moore. You don't, don't give up. The Simpsons? No, it's just like it's been it kind of mellowed out since Life in Hell. Remember, Matt Groening did Life in Hell, oh, and now you eased off to that. Life in Hell sucked, man. Life in Hell sucked. You couldn't even read the but damn are thing. You getting, are they trying to mellow you out by, you know, like the TV nation? Now you're doing Canadian bacon. You're writing sitcoms. What's going on? Like, please don't give up, Michael Moore. Yeah, like, they're kind of pushing it out of home. <laughs> I won't let you down, I promise, I promise.
I promise, I promise. Please make him more. Please. I, will, I will do it. I will. Do you know that Mark Farner now has a dog named after him? You know, Mark Farner is like like supporting the Michigan militia right now. I mean, it's like pretty scary stuff. And finally, Mike Moore, we'd really like to thank you here and thank you for British Columbia Canada. You've inspired people like TV Nation. TV Nation, you had to think about the car alarms where you played the car alarm outside the guy's house? Yeah, that people was in, cool. People in Vancouver, the Molson Indy was happening in Vancouver, and people played indie sounds outside the mayor's house to tell him how bad it was with noise. Oh, really? That, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you so much for inspiring. Inspiration. <laughs> Thank you, right. thank you so much for inspiring and now people. I must go make the magnificent Ambersons. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael Moore. Now going to a Fox broadcast. Keep on rocking in a free world. And come on, let Fox take you on there. They're milking you now. They're having you do a. They better take your show. Is your show going to be on? Come on, just quickly, yes or no? The, the show will be on. Yeah. TV Nation is going to be on. Yes, TV Nation. So Fox has picked it up. No, the BBC have uh, put up all the money for a whole new season. Are we going to see it on the Fox? Uh, you're going to see it here on CTV. Why don't we see it on the Fox? You're doing that press conference from. Why are you even? Why? But the why are you? They're manipulating you. They're manipulating you. Are you an American or a Canadian? I love both nations. Which are you? American I'm an anti-fascist. What are you, American or Canadian? I'm an anti-fascist. I'm a Canadian. Born July 5th, 1968. Okay, damn it. Now, why would you care if it's on Fox? If I just told you it's going to be on CTV, what do you care if it's on Fox? You are going to a press conference to milk Fox. Why are you milking Fox? We're not going to air you right now. I'm going to a party by, uh, it's put on by Random House, damn it. The publisher of my book right now. You're doing a, actually doing a live satellite feed with the oh. Fox Network. Oh, it's a, no, it's a special tonight on the election in America that's going out all across the country. I just think Mike Moore should boycott. Unless they show TV Nation, you should not do any TV. You should not handle the regular media. Okay. Okay, well, thanks very much, Mike Moore. Keep on rocking the free world and do 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 loot do Okay, do do And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show 20-year, 20-hour interview Marathon. That was an interview with Michael Moore from November 1st, 1996. Here's an interview with Michael Moore from April 24th, 2002. Hey, Mr. Moore. Hey, can we ask you a couple questions? Is that okay? Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how are you doing there? Doing where? In Vancouver here. Where am I? In Vancouver. Am I in Vancouver? Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's a, um, <clears throat> it's a beautiful city, Vancouver. It has a lot of nice people in it, and I'm happy to be here. You like me. You really like me. Thank you. And do you think, Michael Moore, would it be okay if we ride with you to the airport and do an interview with you? Why don't you ride with me right now to wherever this guy's taking me? Do you think we could? Yeah. Yeah, we'd love to. Is that okay? Come on. Come on. So, Michael Moore, who are you? I'm I'm a dead man right now. What is... I'm just really... Are we okay? Are we rolling? What city is this? Number 46? It's almost over. You're missing Idaho. Are you skipping Idaho, Michael Moore? I'm definitely skipping Idaho. I'm not going there. What is wrong with your mom's meatloaf? Oh, <laughs> you don't want to go there. <laughs> your brand new book, Michael Moore, is on Reagan books. Reagan books. That is pretty wild. You know, are you Canadian? I am. Now, you know, you guys are closer to the mother tongue than we are. Can you read that? It's not Reagan books. It's Regan books. Okay, I say Nirvana. You say... No, no, it's, you're missing the A. 
I know. I say Nirvana, you say Nirvana. No, it's but it's spelled the same way. You you just read the name of the title of the uh, publisher wrong. It's Regan Books. It's missing the A that's in Reagan. But I just think of like Ronald Reagan because I'm an uneducated Canadian, unlike you being an educated American. <laughs> well, there's no such thing of either. <laughs> but Reagan Books is pretty wild. Like, isn't Rush Limbaugh on Reagan Books, Michael Moore? And Howard Stern. And, jeez, uh, who else? Those wrestlers. They put those wrestlers out, too. <laughs> and you're all in a great company with them, Michael Moore. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's some company to be with. So are you happy that your new book, Stupid White Men, is not airbrushed? Your last book was, not this book, right? That's correct. You see me with all my flaws and all my inability to, you know, grow a beard. I think this book tour is going great, especially because you are not doing any of the big chain corporate stores. You're only doing university gigs, right, Michael Moore? Just about. No, there's a couple chain stores in there, but of the 46 cities, I think maybe there's only, well, there's uh, three. <laughs> Why won't they have me? How much is your book selling for in Canada? I have no idea. What does it cost here? I think like $40. No way. Yes. 40, you mean 40 Canadian? 40 Canadian dollars for your oh, book, Michael Moore. Okay. Well, I, that's like $10 American, right? Well, it's a lot for us Canadians, $40, especially in B.C., where they lowered the minimum wage. What do you think about that, Michael Moore, lowering the minimum wage? <laughs> they lowered the minimum wage here? Yes, they did. They lowered the minimum wage in British Columbia. What is going on with you Canadians? Why are you doing this? Why are you snipping away your social safety net, you know? It makes no sense. You, you know, you start punking on poor people in your country, you're going to end up looking like us. You don't want that. But you got to be nice to us, oh, Michael Moore, because don't the Canadian parkas pay for you? They finance you, don't they, Michael Moore? The who? The Canadian parkas. They're the guys that finance you, Michael Moore, your empire. Who's the parkas? The people. The people that pay for the awful truth. The Canadian parkas. That's what you refer to them as. Oh, the Canadian, the Canadian parkas? I never heard that term. You use that. The parkas pay for you. When did I use that? Well, okay, play along with me here, Michael Moore, please. Help me, help me. The awful truth funded by Canadians. No, I don't want any Canadians to buy this book. Not at $40 a book. Don't buy this book. Michael That's outrageous. That's an outrageous price. I had no idea. Steal this book. Well, no, don't get in trouble either. I mean, just, just you know, you know, channel it somehow. In your new book, Michael Moore, Stupid White Men, there's a lot of dwelling on toothpaste and zippers. A lot of toothpaste and zippers, Michael Moore. <laughs> Don't give away the ending to people, all right? Do you realize in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, where you are right now, Michael Moore, this is where Bill Clinton bought the cigar. He bought the cigar right here. Is that true? Yes, he did. He bought the cigar here. It was a Cuban cigar, right? Because we can't get that in America. He bought it here? Yes. Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. That's where it all happened there, Michael Moore. It's unbelievable. Now, we're trailing you kind of here, and thanks so much for letting us come along with you oh, in your voyage out of I'm Vancouver. Happy to. I'm happy to. Have you ever been trailed by, like, Inspector Clouseau characters, like people running after you, you know, trying to get a file on you, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happens every day. Any fun instances in ditching them at all? Any, you know, like, we thought maybe since we were waiting outside, uh, we fooled your driver by saying we were waiting for Ivana Trump. You fell for that, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Do you have any, um, like, little tricks at all for avoiding people or people that have, you know, um, chased after you, Michael Moore? He wanted to meet Ivana Trump. That's the reason. Ah, good comeback there. Yeah, well. I mean, have you requested your FBI file through the Freedom of Information Act or anything like that? Like, have you been able to do that or found any weird stuff on you? Like, I think there's even stuff on JJ from Good Times. There must be stuff on Michael Moore. <laughs> you know, I've never asked for my file, you know. 
Uh, you guys should ask for it. Anybody can get it. Didn't, like, the Secret Service ask for an episode of The Awful Truth? Yes, they did, actually. They demanded that we give it to them, and we wouldn't. And isn't there also, like, where are we going right now here, Michael Moore? Can we follow um, you some more? I'm going to go and uh, do an interview, I guess, right? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, see? I just go where I'm told. You know? oh. But come on along. Really? Is that okay? I got to get out. How do you get out? How do you get out? Okay, I'll go out this way. Oh, following Michael Moore as he John Doss is around. Thank you for British Columbia, Canada. By the way, you're... Your publicist said you had cancelled all interviews today, Michael Moore. I don't have a publicist. Who are you talking to, man? Harper Collins, Canada. Oh, they're not my publicist. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, they set up all these interviews and you didn't do them. So where are we going right now, Michael Moore? Please, tell us. They shouldn't have set up any areas because they're not my publicist. And where are we heading here, Michael Moore? Where are we heading, Michael Moore? Where are we here? Well, I guess I'm going to do an interview in front of a blue screen. And what is this for? It's for a blue screen show, I guess. Well, go ahead and knock him dead there, right, Michael Moore. Thank you very but, oh, much. can we stick around, just get a few more words for you, maybe after, just a uh, few couple words? Well, I only have a few minutes right now, I gotta do this. Okay, can we just go in front of the blue screen just for like two seconds, just to finish no. off the... No, you have to leave. Oh, Michael Moore's time oh. is really... Okay, well, Michael uh, Moore, I was curious, I was curious, though. Why don't we, why don't we, why don't, why don't, you know... We just, just had this, like, a little... I wanted, I, wanted, like, I, wanted, I wanted to show you, Michael Moore, I want this to show you, this, this, like... Look, I brought this to show to you, I just brought this to show to your family, your family survival guide to terrorism. We're rolling. We're live. Uh, okay, so I guess I'm doing this show now. <laughs> is it better to be rich or poor? Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Here, can we stick around, Michael, or does this mean no, it's over? I, this is not my studio. I can't tell you. Okay, can we at least go do do loot do? Thanks so much, Michael Moran. Do 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 loot do. Do 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 loot do. Almost do 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 loot do. Thank you. Thanks so much, Michael Moore. Is it better to be rich or poor, Michael Moore? Is it better to be rich or poor? Better to be alive or dead. Um, and Michael Moore, are you happy that Sammy Hagar is back together? Are you happy that Sammy Hagar is back together with David Lee Roth, Michael Moore? Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Wait a second. Well, let's just get a clarification here, Michael Moore. What happened here? You were just pushed out by Canadians, not me. I love you, man. Oh, thank you, you know, Michael Moore. Those are your people that pushed you out violently. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Your own Canadians did that. Well, I'm appalled. Well, thank you. I, can I have a hug? I'm, can, yeah, I'm <laughs> so you. sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. These, these were Canadian producers, Canadian TV people that did this to this man. I'm outraged by it. And next time, stand up to a man. You play hockey. Well, didn't I stand no, up? I, no, oh, I won. You lost. They pushed you right out, man. You're the media. You're the truth. Hey, remember I talked to you once before and you said I was on crack? No, you are. You are. You're a human serviette. You are a national treasure, man. Well, thank you. Do you remember last time I talked to you? You said I was on crack? Oh, I do remember you, yes. Oh, and one last thing. I was really disappointed that you weren't there last night because no trip to Vancouver is complete without talking to you. So I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you, Michael Moore. We really appreciate that, too. Now I got Canadians and they're mad at me because I came out to hug you. Oh. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Thank Thanks you very much. much. Rock on. Bye, guys. See, it to be continued. To be continued. An interview with Michael Moore from April the 24th, 2002. And before that, an interview with Michael Moore from November 1st, 1996. And before that, a whole load of interviews going all the way back till 9 p.m. last night. And we're going till 5 p.m. today. It's 20 years of Nardwarta Human Serviette. 20 hours, followed by a reward for you listeners tonight at the Sub Ballroom, the transmitters, the pack, 
Kid Cordine and others playing for free tonight at the Sub Ballroom. Nardwarta Human Serviette Me presents. It's to reward you, the listeners, for putting up with all my stuff for the past 20 years. If you have any requests or memory interviews that you may have heard or want to even hear in the future that I haven't even recorded, 604 822 2487 UBC or email at nardwar at nardwar.com. Right now, here is an interview we are going to have coming up. And this particular interview is an interview with the kids from Degrassi High. And this particular interview was done on March the 13th, 1992, with the kids from Degrassi High. Nardwar versus the kids from Degrassi High. Email your request, nardwar at nardwar.com. Also, 604-822-2487-1992. The kids from Degrassi High, March the 13th. Trista Dickophobia. 